Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live, here's Mike Gill. A Wednesday edition of the Sports Bass starts now on 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. What's going on, everybody? I'm your host, Mike Gill. Josh Henning producing today's show. You out there. You know, every time it feels like there's no games going on Monday, there was no games going on Tuesday, and you might say, what's going on? I've got a show sheet in front of me that is just overflowing with things I want to get into today overflowing with things I want to get into today. And we're going to start it off with uh, a bunch of things I want to get into later on in the show. Mike McGarry's going to be here. Bob Wankel's going to talk some Phillies. Got a new uh, couple features that we're going to be doing later on in the show. Got the big three. Five from Danny Rye is back today. Holy moly. We've got uh, NFL mock draft seasons here. NFL free agent odds just came out for some interesting players and of course the Eagles tie to many of these players. I definitely want to get into that but I was thinking about this last night you know as we generally get ready for the start of another season and the Eagles season ends you get that crossover when football ends and then baseball begins and then you start to focus a little bit more on the winter sports teams and then you get this crossing of almost all four teams at the same time, right? It happens sometimes in October if, like, the Phillies are in the playoffs. You might get a little bit of, like, Flyers, uh, Sixers, Eagles, and Phillies all at the same time. I mean, the Phillies have to go deep into October, like a World Series run. Like, a couple of years ago, I think all four teams were playing at the same time because the Phillies' World Series went into November. So you had all four teams actually playing games at the same time. But right now is about as close as you're going to get to all four teams. I mean, obviously, opening day starts. The Flyers will be going. The Sixers will be in play. And then you'll have, like, draft season. But right now, you've got Flyers, Phillies, Sixers, and then, like, Eagles offseason is kind of getting off the ground. So everything is kind of, like, crossing over into that next phase, like 2024 is like officially kind of getting underway for the sports season. So with that, if you had an opportunity to say, I want one player to make sure that he's in Philadelphia, who is your number one pick? Is it Bryce Harper? Is it Trey Turner? Is it Joel Embiid? Is it Tyrese Maxey? Is it Jalen Hurts? Maybe Jalen Carter? If you could say... I get the first pick of one player that I know he's not leaving Philadelphia. Which guy is it? Who are you taking to start your Philly sports team? 
I didn't include a flyer on there. Should I put Owen Tippett on the list? Josh told me he was a stud, and then on Saturday night he went and blasted two goals in a loss, but still, uh, plus he just got a huge contract from the Flyers for like eight years, $50 million, so he's going to be here a while. But who is right now your number one pick in Philadelphia? 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973. I could go a variety of ways with this. It's very interesting. We were having this conversation over the weekend, and I kind of tabled it until, like, today because there was two days in a row where there was no game, so I was thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it, and then I figured, you know what, we'll bring it up on today's show. So who is, right now, the number one pick Philadelphia sports athlete? So I gave you my candidates, and there could be some more, but these were the ones – the top five or six that I came up with, all right? Bryce Harper is probably a very, very, very hot. Like, this is the NCAA tournament, and you get four number one seeds. Bryce Harper's got to be a number one seed, right? So Bryce Harper, obviously, he wanted to come here. He signed a deal to come here. He basically tried to recruit other people to come here. The only thing that may turn people off from Harper, but so far it doesn't feel like it's turning people off from Harper, is two things. One, he wants an extension three years into the deal. I don't love it. I think it's a bad look for Harper, but to each their own. You want more money? Go ahead and ask for it. Whose money is it? It's not mine. Not my style. But if Harper wants to ask for a contract extension and a race three years into a 13-year deal... He's definitely bolder than I am. It doesn't make me not like the guy. I certainly love having Harper be on my team. The only other thing I would say is Harper's been hurt. He's missed a lot of time since he's been to Philadelphia. He missed half of last year uh, with that elbow problem. Is that going to be a problem for him down the road? So which guy do you want here, let's say, for minimally the next five years? Because Embiid, I think, if I say 10 years, that probably throws him out of the equation. So Bryce Harper, I think, is a number one seed. I would have to think Joel Embiid is also a number one seed. The problem with Embiid is obviously his injury history. If you're telling me for the next five years I get to watch Joel Embiid play 65 games or more, I will sign up for that all the time, every time. I often say on this show, whenever Embiid has like the one of these epic nights, which now happens almost every night, that I would lose... 70 games again to make sure that I get Joel Embiid on my team. You know, it's it's one of those things in basketball. Like, if you were a Bulls fan and you're my age, your basketball growing up, you can't top it. You'll never top that. As a Bulls fan, you will never top that era of basketball. But you will always have that. As a kid, if you're 47 years old like I am, you could say, I grew up with Michael Jordan, and I saw the greatest basketball player of all time, and I can never top that. Now, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, that your best moment in life came when you were 14 years old. However, you will always have that best moment in life. Many teams are yearning to find that moment. Joel Embiid hasn't given us that moment yet, but you can always say, I got to watch Joel Embiid play every single night. The problem is... You haven't got to see him play every single night enough. He's been hurt so much. So that might be why he's not the overall number one pick. All right? Next up, Tyrese Maxey. 
Maxie's obviously not a franchise cornerstone player. He's not the best of the best. He's not the guy, you know, he's not LeBron James. He's probably not on Anthony Edwards' level. He's not Kevin Durant. But he's definitely exceeded some expectations. You know, we talked about it in the offseason. Your opportunity to get Dame Lillard, do you pass that opportunity if you had to give up Maxie? And I said, you're crazy not to take Dame Lillard. Now, right now, Dame Lillard obviously is not performing. Well, he's performing, but it's not turning into definitive championship aspirations for the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, I think the Bucks are obviously NBA title contenders, but they've been a little bit of a disappointment so far. That doesn't mean that Dame Lillard's been a disappointment. I mean, we're talking about a team that's 35-21 and 21 and saying, eh, they just don't look right. Isn't that odd to say? A team that's that far over 500, 35-21, fired their coach already, and you're like, eh. But Lillard still, I mean, he's scoring 25 points a game. I mean, come on. He's still having an unbelievable season. Uh, he's shooting 34% from three, which isn't, you know, great. But... Tyrese Maxey, I think, has exceeded a lot of people's expectations, or maybe just mine. Maybe many of you out there said, I thought Maxey would be this good. But Maxey has to be in the contention for one of those number one seeds, all right? After that, I mean, Jalen Hurts, if we were having this conversation on this day last year, wouldn't many of you think that Jalen Hurts would be the answer to this question definitively? Who's the number one pick in the Philly sports draft? Jalen Hurts would have to be at the top of that list. Do you still put him in even a number one seed? Right? If we're doing a field of 64 of who belongs on the brackets here, who are the number one seeds? Is Jalen Hurts even getting a number one seed for you guys out there? Um, The other guy, two other guys I think are in contention for maybe number one seeds, and maybe there's somebody I'm forgetting. I mentioned Owen Tippett. Maybe I don't know that he's ready to be a number one seed just yet. Um, Trey Turner, he obviously did not have the year to start that we had all hoped for. But if he has a year like he did at from August on last year, you're getting a player that's definitively a number one seed, right? If I'm putting a bracket together and I'm picking my number one seeds and Trey Turner does what he did in August last year in September, he's on that list as definitively in play for the number one pick. And then the last guy, I think, you know, he's probably not there yet. The year was a little bit of an up and down roller coaster. And I don't know that there's anybody else that I can really put in the same category here. Maybe Owen Tippett, you know, a young player. Um, am I forgetting anybody else that is like, how are you not mentioning this guy? The only other guy that I can think of would be Jalen Carter. He had a great start to the year, and then he slowed down as the year went on. But you got to imagine that Jalen Carter is going to be one of those game-wrecking defensive ta- – you better hope he's going to be, by the way – one of those game-wrecking defensive tackles – for the next 10 years, where he is just blowing up plays, blowing up game plans, and just giving teams all sorts of problems. And if he turns into, you know, an Aaron Donald, I'm not saying he's better than Aaron Donald, but if he turns into that kind of defensive tackle where he's one of the best defensive tackles in all of football, 
he has to be considered on this list. Now, I don't know if there's anybody else. I mean, Zach Wheeler, would you put him in consideration here? I don't know that the Phillies really have maybe Bryson Stott, but obviously Stott's not better than Harper. He's not better than Turner. I don't think the Phillies have another guy. I mean, Schwarber, if you're a big Schwarber guy, is he going to be playing at that level for the next five years? You better hope Turner and Harper are playing at this level for the next five years. So right now, we're putting together an NCAA tournament bracket. Who is the number one overall seed of Philadelphia sports athletes? You got Harper, you got Turner, you got Embiid, you got Maxi, you got Hertz, you got Jalen Carter. Oh, I guess I could throw A.J. Brown in there, right? You put an A.J. Brown in that mix as a guy who had 1,400 yards, probably, you know, you're talking about a top five wide receiver in all of football. I see some text messages coming in, 609-403-0973, 609-403-0973. Todd and Brigantine says, this is easy. Jason Kelsey, best center in franchise history, an everyday guy who just loves it here and is loved by the fans. Yeah, Todd, I get Kelsey's allure as where his stance is in terms of place in history. Also, how well-liked he is by the fans, but I also... I'm not even sure Kelsey's going to play next year, let alone for the next five years here. So Kelsey, to me, is a player who, yes, very popular and coupled with he's one of the best, if not the best player at his position still. But the long term of being, hey, this is the guy I want to make sure is in Philly. I think that's probably pushing it a little bit. Where does a guy like Kyle Schwarber fall into all this for you? Yeah, Schwarber's interesting because, um, you know, he's Schwarber's one of those guys that you either love Kyle Schwarber or you're probably the guy who's like, I can't stand the fact that he strikes out, um, all that stuff. You take a look at, in fact, we had the text message the other day that essentially said, I think the Phillies should have kept Hoskins and got rid of Schwarber. Now, Schwarber's 30 years old right now. So five years from now, you're looking at a 35-year-old guy who hits 197. What is a 35-year-old guy hitting? 137 with 30 homers instead of 47 homers? I don't know. I don't know. But, I mean, if he's still giving you 35, 40 homers a year, you kind of bite the bullet, don't you? I guess so. But what else is he? I mean, one of the things about him is his OPS is really good. His on-base percentage is solid. He walks a lot. But, I mean, if his average is still under 200 and it's now dipping from 197 to 157, that becomes a big difference. Right. You need the batting average to go up some. Yeah. I don't know that Schwarber is disliked. I don't think he's disliked. But I don't know that he's so universally loved because he's very polarizing that he bats leadoff and he's not a prototypical leadoff hitter. So people do have like this, I hate him batting leadoff. And I don't think that they hate him. It's just they don't like that he hits the leadoff That's what I was going to say. It's it's him hitting leadoff people don't like. It's not him personally. Yeah, it's not, hey, I don't like Schorber. It's, "Eh, I don't really like him hitting in the leadoff spot. So I think there is... Uh, Schwarber would be a guy like five years from now. Mm, now, as uh, the text said, hold on. This was sent before you mentioned the next five years. Like, I mean, yeah, I'm trying to look a little bit long term at to as to why, um, why you know, I don't want a guy who's going to be here one year fly by nighter, right? 
Like, hey, right. you're out of here after one season. And I get Kelsey's been here forever. Kelsey goes on, like, if we were doing of all-time Eagles players or all-time Philly players, Kelsey's definitely a number one seed, I would think. Right? He has to be. He has to be. Like, for this era. He might even be on any era. He, I think he's probably top five Eagle all-time. He could be crossing into that realm where he might be one of the five most popular Eagles of all time, I mean, if Jason we're to, Kelsey. If we're to assume, just for sidetrack sake, you know, Brian Dawkins is arguably one of the greatest, most popular guys of all time, and then Brian Westbrook, he's up there, right? You know, no, I don't know if Westbrook's on that level. Okay, well, how about Reggie White? Reggie, Reggie White. White um, I know, like, some people like to go way back into, like, the 60s when the team has a couple championship runs. I'm not old enough to know what kind of connection those players had with the town. I also wonder, I often wonder, were the Eagles anywhere near as popular back then as they are now? I mean, they are absolutely head and shoulders popularity ahead of everybody else. I got to imagine back at that time, they weren't head and shoulders like they are right now. So I wonder what the connection was with some of their greats from the 60s. It's funny you said that because I, I was watching one of those Peyton's places and they had um, Matt Millen and Ricky Waters who are both guys from the Philadelphia area and they were talking about how, you know, the the evolution of how... Eagle- Ricky Waters? Yeah. The running back? Yeah. You know what's funny? I was walking through one of the casinos in Vegas and he was walking right next to me and I said to Scott Grayson, hey, there's Ricky Waters. Now, when our, the first... Radio Rose we ever did was in New York. Right. And Ricky Waters was there and was a guest on our show during the first ever Radio Row broadcast that we did. So full circle, basically. There we go. I was like, wait, did you just say Ricky Waters? I just saw him a week ago. Well, they were both on the Peyton's Places episode we're talking about Eagle fans, and they were talking about how the, the Eagle fan evolution yeah. from the team that couldn't win in the 60s and 70s to becoming the juggernaut in the city they are now. Yeah, well, listen, it really kind of, you know, when they beat the Cowboys in that NFC Championship game when Carmichael, not Carmichael, uh, Monk, um, uh, Wilbert, Montgomery Wilbert Montgomery broke that run, that was kind of like the moment when the Sixers, uh, the, the Eagles kind of arrived. Right. Right? It was like, finally, we have some relevancy. The problem was they went, they were really irrelevant for a while after that. And then they really didn't become relevant again until, like, Buddy got there. When Buddy got there, they didn't win anything, but they became kind of very, very popular. Right. And then it was really Andy, when he got hired, that put them way on another level. Yeah, Yeah. The Andy Reid era put the Eagles on just a complete insane level of popularity. Because for decades, you know, whenever my family talked about it, you know, they were all diehard Philly sports fans. The whole thing was, you know, my pop-up and everybody, they would say, this is a Phillies town. You know, the Phillies were like the biggest thing. Meanwhile, they stunk too. Well, I mean, until the late 70s and the early 80s. Right, I'm talking from really 80, after 83. After 83 to 93. They went to 93 without winning anything. And then from 93, they came out of right field to win that one pennant, 
And then after that, they didn't win anything from 94 to 2007. Right. So you're taking a look at, you know, decades worth of time that the Phillies were just completely irrelevant, wrapped in with like one playoff appearance in 1993. So it had been a, it was a kind of a doldrum-esque area. And that's when Andy kind of stepped in there filled the and void. brought that team to just no, uh, no uh, royalty fees to the Kelseys here, to New Heights. So... <laughs> If you look at Kelsey, yes, he's an all-time Eagle. Now, Cole from LBI checks in and says, Jordan Mailata should be considered a two-seed at least. Yeah, I mean, okay, maybe. I mean, I, mean, that, I think Mailata's a good player. I would say Lane Johnson's ahead of Mailata. Yeah, Mailata would be behind Lane Johnson for me. I would almost say Landon Dickerson would be ahead of Jordan Mailata. I think Landon Dickerson is... I wouldn't go that far. is turning into a bit of a cult figure in this town. He might be more popular, but I don't know that he's better. Like, if you're telling no, me which offensive not, lineman can right. I take to start my line with, I'm going with Dickerson over my Lotta. Yeah, no offense to my Lotta, but I think Dickerson, you're right. He His potential is like he's just a better player. perennial all-pro potential. Yeah, he's just a better player. I mean, Dickerson's a better player. Lane Johnson's a better player. My Lotta is more of a character, and it doesn't mean he's not a good player. I think my Lotta is a very good player. He's not great. Um, he's a great story, but... Those are the options, I think. Is there anybody else on the list that I'm missing? Can if I you had the number one pick right now yeah. in the Philly sports draft, Bryce Harper, Trey Turner, Joel Embiid, Tyrese Maxey, Jalen Hurts. I think those are the top five options to choose from. And then, you know, like I said, A.J. Brown, Jalen Carter, I don't know if there's anybody else. I mean, Zach Wheeler, maybe. Would you throw him in there? Aaron Nola? I would Nola? put Nola ahead of Wheeler because Nola's younger. Oh, uh, I think people like Wheeler better than Nola, they though. They like Wheeler, but Wheeler's older. You said the next five years. Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what their ages are off the top of my head, but I think they're pretty close, right? I mean, Nola's thirty, turning thirty-one. Let me double check Wheeler. But I thought he was like thirty-four, thirty-five. That what that you know, if he's thirty-four, thirty-five, then that would change the dynamics for him a little bit for for Zach Wheeler. He's thirty-three. All right, yeah, five years from now, Wheeler's thirty-eight years old. Yeah, he he's turns probably thirty-four still, in May. Okay, so he's probably still able to go, but is he at the same level? I don't know. That I, I definitely think Wheeler and Nola, because they're both really quiet guys. Neither one of them like to talk all that much. So we don't know their personalities, and that's why I feel if you're picking a Philly, it's probably either Harper or Trey Turner, possibly Kyle Schwarber, anybody other than that. I can't even say. Bryson Stott would be like... Bryson Stott might be like the sneaky number four seed. He would be. Uh, maybe Brandon Marsh would be a sneaky five seed. Maybe. I don't think he's under consideration, though, for, for even being in the conversation. I mean, I know people like Marsh, but, I mean, he he's a tier way below the Harpers and Turners right. and, and that group. So, uh, interesting. We were, we were debating this the other night, and, and my buddy, he went with Maxie. He thinks Maxie at 22 years old is the guy that you just cannot let leave, cannot let him get out of here. So he said, I would take Maxie over anybody else. Now, I am kind of partial to Embiid. I, I just love watching Embiid play, and I know he's had his problems. But as I say often, I, I would lose 70 games again if you told me the result was I ended up getting to watch Joel Embiid get to play every single night. Now, the injuries are so frustrating with him, but... Embiid is just so much fun to watch. But Bryce Harper has really won the town over. I mean, more so than anybody could have ever imagined. 
So if you had to ask me to rank my four right now, I would go Harper, Maxi, Hertz, and Bead. Yeah. All right. So kind of NCAA tournament style. Who are the top four seeds in the city right now? You put Owen Tippett on that list at all. Is there any other flyer that I'm forgetting? Was there a young guy that I'm just like, I know they drafted the one kid. I mean, if that's you, coming over from Russia. Yeah, but I mean, he's he's two years away from being two years. You can't away, be in basically. the conversation for right. this. You can't be can't be in the conversation. I hear yet. Yeah, it's really only Owen Tippett or Travis connecting at this point. Send us a text 609-403-0973. We are live inside the Ocean Casino Studios. We want to welcome our friends at Ocean Casino on board as they are now our new presenting sponsor of the studios here of 97.3 ESPN. We love working with Ocean, not in the gallery right now, but in the Ocean Casino studios here on the Sports Bash. When we come back, the Vegas odds are very interesting. They're telling us an interesting story, and I'll reveal them coming up next on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. It's for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Mike Gill. Do I have everybody's attention now? On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. All right, 231 inside the Ocean Casino Studios. Mike Gill in the Sports Bash. Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City is here. Now, I told you before the break, uh, I just got these odds sent to me right before the show, like right at 159. They were sent over to me. In fact, so I was talking about this yesterday of all the NFL free agents, which ones might be interesting. And wouldn't you know, the Vegas odds or the betting odds, I guess, if you will, for these players to land on the Eagles, uh, one of them is in the top two, one is in the top three, one is in like the top ten, and the other one is number one on the list of odds to land with the Philadelphia Eagles. Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City is here. We know, Mike, that the Eagles do not really have a running back on the roster. Swift is a free agent. Um, Boston Scott is a free agent. Kenny Gainwell is the only guy back. But could you see Howie Roseman going out in free agency and bringing in any one of these guys, Austin Eckler, Derek Henry, Saquon Barkley, or Tony Pollard, because Vegas seems to think the Eagles are going to be calling. Yeah, I, I don't see that happening. I don't see that as in Howie Roseman's DNA, right? I mean, he doesn't draft linebackers, and he doesn't pay for linebacker, uh, for running backs. And, and uh, you know, I don't see uh, any of those guys really getting top dollars from the Eagles, especially, you know, Saquon Barkley was okay for the Giants last year. Tony Pollard had a down year. Austin Eckler was okay. None of those guys really had great years last year. So I, I don't see the Eagles varying from their DNA and, and going out and, and signing a running back. Of that group there, any injury, like they said, you know what, go bring in a running back. Eckler, Henry, Barkley, Pollard. Josh Jacobs also on the list, but he 
was not uh, the Eagles were not amongst the teams in the betting favorite market there. But any of those guys think that that you know obviously Pollard and Eckler have connection with with uh, Kellen Moore. You know Barkley well, and Derrick Henry is one of the greatest backs of all time. Yeah, I mean, I think Derrick Henry's got a lot of tread uh, or a lot of wear on the tire, right? So I wouldn't go with him. Uh, Barkley, his injury history scares me. Eckler doesn't do much for me. I, I would, If I had to take a flyer on one of those guys, I would take a flyer on Tony Pollard. He had success in the Kellen Moore offense before. Uh, you know, he had it down here in Dallas this year. Maybe that was the play calling. Uh, maybe they didn't use him the way uh, they should have. He's had success in the Kellen Moore offense before. Uh, maybe he has a bounce back season. So if I had to take a flyer on one of those guys, it would be Tony Pollard. Yeah, Pollard. By the way, the Eagles are the favorite to land him at five to one. They are the betting favorite. If Pollard does not play for Dallas, Philadelphia, Saquon Barkley, uh, the Eagles are ten to one to land him. If not the Giants, Derrick Henry, uh, they're the second team on the list. It's Baltimore. Philadelphia and Dallas, 5-1. to one. And then Austin Eckler, the Eagles are the second team. Baltimore and then Philadelphia at 6-1. to one. So it seems that Vegas at least thinks the Eagles could be in the market for a running back. And they do need to get a running back. But, Mike, you know, talk about Barkley. I feel like Derrick Henry, Barkley, Josh Jacobs, you got some big-name running backs. I am very intrigued to see what the offseason looks like for running backs. Yeah, that's a great point, right? Because I don't know if the Giants are going to pay, you know, uh, 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 Barkley, right? Or what they're going to do with him. So there's a lot of big names out there, and I just don't see running backs getting a lot of, uh, lot of, uh, a lot of play in free agency. I think I read a story the other day in the New York Post about the Giants and the Saquon Barkley situation. It said what, what, once running backs get past the age of 26, there's a sharp drop off. They fall right off a cliff. And if you look at the ages of a lot of those guys, I'm going to bet you they're right in the 26, 27, 28 year old area. So there's a lot of big names out there. And could you get one of those guys on the cheap just because people don't pay enough, pay a lot for running backs these days? Absolutely. So I think you got a great point there. It'd be interesting to see what the market is. And let's remember, the two-time Super Bowl champions have won a Super Bowl with, okay, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, but their main running back was the seventh-round draft choice. Uh, Mike McGarry for the press of Atlantic City. Yeah, I, I think the running back market this offseason is high on my list of things I want to watch because I actually think, you know, last year there was a lot of talk about it, and I actually think that the value for running backs is actually going to continue to plummet. I don't think it's going to go up. I think it's going to continue to go down. You look at violence, Isaiah Pacheco. You get the guy in the seventh round. I think teams are going to keep saying, I'll just keep kicking the can down the road and find it back later and later in the draft. I'm just not going to spend on that position. Yeah, absolutely. And, Mike, there really is a surplus at that position. If you think about it, like every great high school team and every great college football team has a great running back. Some of them have two great running backs. Some of them have even three on the college level. There's just a surplus of guys at that position. Unlike quarterbacks, unlike left tackles, unlike cornerbacks, there's a surplus of running backs and linebackers, and that's why you see those guys not getting a lot of money. All right, Mike, uh, we were talking before you came on. Right now for you, you cover – all the teams, for the most part, which guy is the one guy, if you had to say you were putting together an NCAA tournament bracket, would be the number one seed of a player in the city? You got Bryce Harper, Turner, 
uh, Embiid, Maxi, Hertz. You got the guy who right now is the biggest star of all the stars. Yeah, that, that's a great question, right? Bryce Harper, you look at Bryce Harper, it's baseball. It's only four at-bats a game. Uh, there's other guys on the Phillies that are probably just as important. Trey Turner, the pitchers, Nola, Wheeler. So I'm not going to go Bryce Harper. You look at Joel Embiid, but he's tempting to grab there at number one. But, hey, that injury history, he's not playing now. He's never been fully healthy for the playoffs. So that worries me a lot. I think the obvious answer to me when you look at age and position is Jalen Hurts. He plays the most important position of, in all of sports. If he continues to play like he did maybe last season, not this past season, and he continues to progress at his age, you know, you're going to have a competitive football team uh, no matter what happens, almost no matter what happens. So if I got to take a number one draft choice of the athletes in the city of Philadelphia, I'm taking Jalen Hurts. Wow, I'm a little surprised. All right, obviously Hurts coming off of a, a weird season, to say the least there. Mike, uh, obviously yesterday, uh, Mike Trout was making a lot of news. Uh, and in fact, on the Greeny yesterday, they said that Trout is a baseball travesty, uh, that what has happened with his career and just how little coverage he gets and almost to the point that people don't criticize him for winning or losing because they just don't care. Uh, you wrote a column about that today. Yeah, absolutely. I, I compared Mike Trout and Bryce Harper. And, and you know, back in 2012, 13, 14, when those guys were in their formative years in the big leagues, I would have never imagined myself saying this. I never would have said to myself, if I had to pick a career, a baseball career that I would want to have, Whose career would I rather have, Mike Trout or Bryce Harper's? And it's Bryce Harper, and I think it's an easy answer. Bryce Harper's playoff success, Bedlam at the bank. He's had big moments on the big stage where Mike Trout, and Mike Trout is a better baseball player than Bryce Harper. There's no doubt about that. You look at all the statistics, they kind of line up in Trout's favor. But whose career, who's had more fun? It's Bryce Harper. And I just find it astounding, and I think people around baseball also find it astounding also, that Trout has not, you know, kind of forced his way out or the Angels have not traded him. To me, as I wrote today, the Los Angeles Angels are on fire. Their house is on fire. You haven't even thrown the first pitch of spring training yet, and the building known as the Los Angeles Angels is on fire. And Trout is is standing in the midst of the flames asking the owner to bring him a bucket of water to try to put out the fire. It's not going to work. He's got to run out of that building, jump out a window, scramble out the back, and get to a place where baseball absolutely matters, and he's got to do it soon. I mean, he's 32 years old. I will say, Mike, I mean, it's not from lack of trying. I mean, they paid Trout. They paid Otani. They paid Pujols. They paid Rendon. They went even and went out and overspent for pitchers that were total bust. I mean, they have spent the money. Yeah, I, I mean, give them an A for effort, or but give them a... Uh, and ask for organizational effectiveness. I mean, they they are inept as an organization. And if there ever was an organization that screams, we need to tear it down and do a Houston Astros-like rebuild, it's the Angels. And right now it would be in Trout's favor and in the Angels' favor to trade Trout for practice, uh, for prospects, rather. You look at the Angels, Mike, they're not making the playoffs this year. Look at that division out west. The Houston Astros, probably the best organization in all of uh, baseball, put the cheating scandal aside, which is hard to do. But organizationally, they're the gold standard right now. The Texas Rangers are the defending World Series champions. 
the Seattle Mariners are a rising organization with a lot of talented players. You look around the rest of the American League. The Baltimore Orioles are on the rise. The Yankees are going to bounce back. They go out and sign Soto after not making the playoffs this year. They're not messing around this season. They're going to bounce back. And then you have the, the AL Central winner, which either Minnesota or Cleveland. So I just gave you seven, eight teams that are going to compete for the playoffs, not to mention you can't undersell the Tampa Bay Rays. The Toronto Blue Jays still have some of the game's young best players. The Angels aren't going anywhere. He's got to get out of there because here's my line about Mike Trout. He's on national television more in October and November, sitting in the stands at the link <laughs> than he is during baseball season from April to September. Uh, Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City. And, Mike, uh, yesterday some interesting news. So there was reported before that the battle at the beach was leaving Ocean City and going to Atlantic City. Then yesterday, it looks like it's returning to Ocean City with a huge matchup. So a wild turn of events here all of a sudden where you're getting not only some games back in Ocean City, but you're getting a very high-profile game. Yeah, you're getting four big games on that Thursday of Labor Day weekend. The whole issue with this with this event, and it's a great event, and, and they'll eventually figure it out. And they've got, you know, the event happens on Labor Day weekend, and we're sitting here in the middle of February right now, so they've got time to figure it out. But the whole event was Ocean City can't host the event this year because they have some Philadelphia Catholic League football games that have traditionally played for years over that Labor Day weekend. So the battle at the beach was going to shift to Atlantic City. That's no longer the plan. They're going to play the Thursday of Labor Day weekend at Ocean City. The big matchup is Bergen Catholic, the number one team in the state of New Jersey, against IMG Academy. You've also got some great games that day, Mainland Camden, Ocean City, Cinnaminson. So you can, you know, if you go over that day, you're going to see the local teams play and you're going to see a national contest. And then soon, I guess, in the next couple of days, the uh, West Jersey Football Coaches Association, which runs the event and is a great event to start the season, is going to announce officially, officially, officially where Saturday or Friday and Saturday's games will be played. All right. Uh, so that is something that is big news because uh, ESPN is going to be airing that game on Thursday now. So you're talking about the games being back at Ocean City. I know there's a lot of people that were kind of, you know, why is it leaving Ocean City? You just kind of chronicled. They, now, somebody had mentioned to me, why didn't they just make some of the Catholic League games part of the Battle at the Beach schedule? Yeah, you know, I'm not sure. I just think logistically there's five or six games and, and, you know, a football game takes two and a half hours and you can't, you know, you just can't fit in all the games maybe you want at the battle by the uh, battle at the beach with the Philadelphia, you know, Catholic League games. So there's only so many, you know, hours in a day that you could play football there. I think there was also some concern about, you know, traffic in Ocean City on Labor Day weekend. How many extra people would the Battle at the Beach bring into Ocean City on that weekend? So, yeah, but the, the, they're going to work it out. They're going to play Thursday. Like you said, a nationally televised uh, game on ESPN. Yeah. Very few events around here can you sit on your couch in California and flip on TV, regular <laughs> TV, and, and, and see an event from South Jersey. So, Bergen Catholic IMG, that'll be a great event. And then, again, in the next couple of days, they'll officially tell us where uh, Friday and Saturday's games are going to be played. All right, Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City. And, of course, right here on the Sports Bash, we'll take a look at uh, all the big weekend stories on Friday as he joins us here on the Sports Bash. Thank you, Mike. 
All right, Mike, we'll see you down the road. Thanks. All right, Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City, pressofac.com here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. Mike Gill with you. And I want to tell you about my friend Rocco over at Key Acura of Atlantic City. You know, we're almost to the end of the month, so you do have time between now and February 29th to go test drive and check out the 2024 Acura Integra. If you're somebody who's always said, I want to drive an Acura, but I don't think I can afford three sixty nine dollars a month on a lease right now for the Integra and just four eighty nine dollars a month on an MDX 2024. Brand new MDX 489 Beginning March 2nd, the service department will be open on Saturdays again. So stop in and see the team and Rocco over at Key Acura of Atlantic City, Tilton Road, EHT, the small but friendly dealer online at keyacuraofatlanticcity.com. All right, coming up, Sports Bass Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Is this a better solution? That's next. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. There are not 12 teams that can conceivably win the championship in a given year. There are probably not eight, but are there five in most years? Probably. Do you want to see five or six? Do you want to see a team like Tulane a couple of years ago get a shot to do it? I just think that the 12 is, is too much. Four is too little. Kevin Clark, host of the football podcast, Omaha Productions on why the 16 playoff might have been a better solution for college football. Now, this is an interesting conversation for me because I am a fan of letting the little guy try. Like, when I was in college, Randy Moss played at Marshall. And, like, it would have been cool to see if, like, Marshall could have. Now, they lost to West Virginia that year, so they weren't winning the national championship. But, like, give them a shot, right? So the 12-team playoff, many people think is too many teams. Like, 12 is going to play five. Is there any interest in that game? Minimal. I mean, so little that some of the television networks like, didn't even want it. Like, they're like, I don't want that game. You're going to make me play air 12 versus five and pay millions of dollars for the rights to air that game? I don't want it. Would a three versus six, four versus five on one Saturday been the way to go? And then one and two get a bye and then the three, six, and the four, five winners go and play one and two, and then the winners of that play for the national championship. So would you have rather seen six teams? Was that a better solution than what they came up with 12 with this five plus seven? I've always been against the 12. My position has always been eight because, first of all, stupid bye week. Like, why do we need a bye? Like, just get the postseason started. Well, sometimes, I mean – College doesn't need a buy because you already have all this time off exactly. waiting anyway. So the buy isn't really doing anything for anybody. It's no. not like you're getting an advantage because you have the buy. Exactly. You have to wait just longer to play. Right. So to me, you should have made it eight because there's no buys. And number two, I don't know if there's 10 teams every year, Mike, that can compete for a, the, the college football championship. I know Kevin Clark was saying that he doesn't see more than five in a year. I think there are times you could maybe rationalize. There wasn't eight. more than five this year. There wasn't more than five this year. But in the past, there are times that you could have rationalized, you know, a an Ohio State team that maybe lost a game that dropped the seventh or eighth in the rankings that maybe they could compete. I think that of the major schools, there are enough talent to go around that could theoretically compete if you go to eight. But once you get past eight to me, you're you're really stretched then. Yeah, I think the, the eight number is 
just because of the one eight two seven three. I think it's that's clean. the best way. Clean, no buys, and it goes through. But it, what it also allows, like six, doesn't for me. Six doesn't allow the two lane or the Marshall or the like. It doesn't allow them to get a fair chance. Like there, maybe every once in a while you'll get Cincinnati two lane that will get in there. I mean, Cincinnati got in a couple years ago. Right, you might get a two lane. But eight gives those teams a realistic shot to say, I can get into the eight. Six, I think, is going to be hard because now you're looking at two SECs, probably two Big Tens, uh, two Big Twelves right there. Right. And that's not even counting whatever's going on with the Pac-12. Now, keep in mind, all these conferences are bigger than they were. So two might not even be enough. You might need Michigan, Ohio State. And USC. So now right. you're looking at three Big Ten teams. SEC, same problem. You might get um, Georgia, Alabama, and Texas. That's six teams right there. So you take a look at it and say, well, six probably isn't enough. Twelve might be too many. But now that we're talking it out, is twelve too many? I still think it is. I think that you're going to get some mediocre. I agree. Because we're assuming that. Texas is going to be great, and Alabama's going to be great, and Georgia's going to be great, and Michigan's going to be great. You know, I, is Michigan going to be Michigan now that Harbaugh's gone? They weren't Michigan until Harbaugh got there. Are they going to stay Michigan? Nick Saban left Alabama. Texas is moving to the SEC. Boom. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Something to think about. Hey, coming up, what is one thing the Phillies still might do? Our buddy Bob Wankel from Crossing Broad covers the Phillies, redoctoberphilly.com. And he joins me next to talk some Phils on the Sports Bash. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live, here's Mike Gill. Inside the Ocean Casino Studios here on the Sports Bass Live 97.3 ESPN. Mike Gill, we're going to talk a little Phils as they get ready for the weekend. First live games. What's one thing Bob Wankel would like to see the Phillies still get done, if anything at all? Is this a complete team? Keep it together. Give it a shot to the trade deadline. Move on from there. I haven't talked to Bob about the move to get Whit Merrifield. How does he see him fitting in the lineup? Rob Thompson may have showed his hand a little bit about that lineup and then tried to back off of it. Bob Wankel crossing broad, redoctoberphilly.com as we're getting ready for spring training. They play their first game this weekend. Uh, They'll play the Blue Jays. Blue Jays play like 107. It's a weird time down there in Dunedin that they play those games. They used to have a deal with 7-Eleven, didn't they? It was like 7-Eleven starts (laughs) in Toronto. I don't know the significance of the 107 start. Do you? I don't know what that's all about. I guess, uh, you know, they're just getting, getting everybody uh, plenty of time, ample time to file into the yeah. ballpark. Well, Dunedin's a very, uh, mm-hmm. very IPA, like a lot of craft beers, a lot of breweries in Dunedin. So if you want to get an early start, you know, jump over to Dunedin first, and then, you know, the game doesn't start till 107. I make it a, I make it a stop. Once a year, we go to Dunedin for the day. I'm going, I, I'm I like going that. Tuesday this year on the 19th, Dunedin. Blue I've only Jays. been down there uh, twice. Uh, I've enjoyed it both times. So, uh, Dunedin? Uh, Cigar, Cigar City. Do you, are you familiar with Cigar City at all down yeah, there? Yeah, that's a Tampa uh, brewery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, All right. there you go. 
Uh, Whit Merrifield signed last week. Now the dust is settled. You heard Rob Thompson. You heard Dave Dombrowski kind of give their expositories on him. How do you see him fitting in? Because, honestly, we had some social media people uh, saying, this spells trouble. He's going to take it bats away from Stott. You know, there was almost people wondering how this guy's going to fit in. I personally think it's a really good fit. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that uh, if you look at something long enough and hard enough, you can start to try to pick it apart and say, well, this is why I don't like it. This is These are some potential uh, issues. I, I have to tell you, I mean, the, the Phillies bench last year was largely dreadful. And so when you can add a veteran player who has multiple skills, can play multiple positions, uh, has played in an all-star level previously – I just don't really see the the downside to it. He's a, a professional, you know, a professional caliber player that I just think gives them a little bit of depth um, and gives them a little bit of protection in the event that Johan Rojas hits like the Johan Rojas that we saw last October and not the guy that we saw come up at the end of July and, and really do a nice job at the end of the regular season. So I think that it's a little bit exaggerated, his versatility. I mean, Whit Merrifield really should only be playing second base and left field for you. Can he go stand out in center field? I guess. Can he play a little third base if he has to? First base if he has to? I guess. But really, you're talking about second base and left field. I think he starts two to three times per week. And I think that's really good because if you look at his numbers from a year ago, he ends up at about 272, but he largely hit 300 through the month of July, I believe it was, and then August, September, he crashed. And and potentially part of the reason that happened was because he was playing every day as a 34-year-old. So I, I think that this is a nice deal. Um, you mentioned, uh, you know, the fact that he kind of dipped off a little bit towards the end, and, and I did notice that as well. So I wonder if the Phillies are saying 130. Like, is there a number for you that makes sense? And, and it's interesting that you brought this up because I think you're right. A lot of people just say, hey, he's played all three outfield positions. Well, he's mostly played left. Can he play right? Can he play center? Sure, but not almost every day. But it seems that left field seems like that's the spot. He could platoon with Marsh, and it just makes sense there. And then, you know, if he has to play right field for a day to give Castellanos off. But the number for me feels like 130 is like a good number to possibly get him time. Because you're right. The bench last year, disastrous, which comes to the whole thing of the World Series where Rojas comes up and it's like, you got to hit for him. No, you got nobody to hit for him. I mean, I get yeah. it. I, 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 the question makes sense to hit for Rojas, but you had no logical option to hit for him, so you just left him there. Yeah, and I mean, that's why when I look at the deal, like, so some of the people that are uh, not thrilled or less than enthusiastic about this addition will tell you, and I, I do get this. The problem is not Whit Merrifield, and it's not the addition of Whit Merrifield. The problem is, though, that they don't have a lot of young, intriguing options on the bench. They don't have guys that can take that next step and maybe one day eventually evolve into a starting caliber player. You know, so I think that it's not so much about Whit Merrifield. It's just, okay, here goes another roster spot allocated to an older player, a guy who has, I would say, limited upside at this at this point. But I think you need a player like him. It's just that lack of young, intriguing prospect-type player 
that goes along with the established veteran. I think that's the problem with the Phillies bench. Yeah, because when you look at this team, I mean, you really still have Stott and Bohm, and I guess to some extent, I guess Marsh is younger than people give him credit for. He looks like an older guy with the long hair, the beard, but he's still a young player too. But yeah, you're right. They don't have that next guy that's kind of pushing his way uh, into the lineup. So then you have to go the complete opposite direction and go get a 35-year-old guy to play that role. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at what I think is ultimately going to come down to this Jake Cave, you know, uh, Christian Pache type, you know, battle here as as the month of March goes along. And and listen, you know, nothing against either of those guys. Both contributed at times last year, but I don't think anybody listening to us talk about the Phillies right now is particularly excited about the prospect of either one of those guys playing a meaningful role on this team. But when you have Rojas and, and the, the what, what's really fascinating to me is that last October, the season ends and everybody says, well, you know, Johan Rojas is a, a nice little player. Or maybe it's for them, you know, maybe he platoons for them at the start of next season, but there's a good chance that he might not even be on the opening day roster. And then they go out and they do nothing all offseason. And then they show up in Clearwater last week. And it's like, well, we want him to win the job. We think he will. It's like, okay, well, you better hope that he evolves. You better hope that he shows progress. And listen, he's not going to hit 300 the way he did in the regular season last year. But, he, you know, he can't hit 100 either. You know, can he hit 235, 245? Yeah. Well, he also, you know, Bob, he also, not only did he hit 302, he had an on-base percentage of 340, which, like, yeah. you're thinking if he has a 340 yeah. on-base percentage, that's pretty darn – I mean, that's you're in you're in Schwarber's range. Right. Yeah, and, I mean, listen, I just don't think he's that player. Maybe I'm selling him a little bit short, but I do think that when you look at the defense and how good it is and you look at some of the other skills that he brings to the lineup, skills that this lineup does not have up and down, talk about speed – you know, he is their he is their best defender by far uh, at this point. I just think that you try to make it work, but he's got to show you something. Uh, Bob Wankel uh, crossing broad, Red October Philly. He said he's going to get the newsletter back going for this season. So make sure you subscribe to that. I'll have it a couple of days a week getting ready. Um, so I, I mentioned before you came on, they signed Merrifield. You just talked about really there is just no battles down there. There's really like, all right, who's going to be – the 13th guy on that bench, you're going Cave or Pache. Is there one thing the Phillies still should do in your mind, or is this the team that comes to Philly to play the Braves? Uh, I think that there, the answer to it might be yes to both of those parts. So this might very well be the team that comes to Philly. The more and more I think about it, I, I know everyone is really excited about this rotation, and I guess that I'm not quite as bullish about it as some other people are. And I'll tell you why. I mean, I think it's kind of easy to look at it and say, all right, wins above replacement. It projects out as like the best rotation in baseball when you look at war, that you have the frontline guys in Nola Wheeler. You saw how effective they were for the majority of the postseason last year. You sort of know what you're going to get in both of those guys. I guess, you know, you went out and you signed Nola to that monster deal. You better hope that he's the guy that we saw at the end of the season and into the postseason last year, and not the guy that this city argued about resigning for the better part of four and a half months last year. You know, so do you feel great? Do you feel great, Mike, about Aaron Nola as number two guy? I would even say benefit of the doubt. Yeah, sure. Okay, great. 
then you kind of go down the list a little bit. You know, Ranger Suarez, everybody loves Ranger Suarez, myself included. He's a big game pitcher. You feel good about him in big spots. Go take a look at his numbers by month last year. He was hurt. He was behind schedule. He was very inconsistent. He had uh, two months where he was lights out. And the rest of the regular season, he was average to below average. And so he slotted in as their number three guy. He's healthy. He's on time this year. You hope that he's a little bit more consistent because of it. But is that a sure thing? Well, you bring up an interesting point. And when you're trying to set expectations for what this team can be, I don't know, Aaron Nolok, we know what he is kind of, but, like, is he going to be a 20-game winner uh, with a 238 ERA? Probably not. You just mentioned Suarez. Is he going to win 15 games with an ERA in the mid-threes? Probably not. I mean, it seems like ceiling goes right back to you're right around 89 to 91 wins with this group of guys. And if that's the formula that you think you can keep beating the Braves in the first round, I think you're kidding yourself. I, I agree. And, and just to kind of finish the thought, you look at, you know, Christopher Sanchez, who was great last year, but can he throw a sinker? Can he get guys out without the changeup, you know, being that lights out pitch? I think that that's a big question mark. Like, can he build on last year? Maybe he can, maybe he can't. And then Taiwan Walker, they didn't trust enough to, to pitch in October. So, you know, I know he won 15 games or whatever last year, but he had issues early in games. He, he dug a lot of holes for that team last year. You don't know where you're going to get there. So I think like when you look at it, Big picture over 162. You feel pretty good about the five guys they have. There's some upside there. Things can go right, you know, but things can also go wrong. So I would love to see them add another arm to this rotation and a meaningful arm. And maybe that's not Jordan Montgomery or Blake Snell. Maybe it is Jordan Montgomery. Could be. I think that that, there's still a possibility of that. But I think between now and the trade deadline, you're, you're going to need another premium arm to hang with the Braves and the Dodgers of the world. Bob Wankel crossing broad, looking at the field. Yeah, because the question in my mind is for you to compete with Atlanta, which is ultimately what you want to do. You don't want to be the wild card team. You enter saying, I want to compete with Atlanta. I want to compete with the Dodgers. You look around the diamond and the rotation. What player in your mind can exceed expectations to get you there? Because someone's going to have to be better. Multiple guys are going to have to be better than they were last year. And I don't know that I see any player on this team that takes that jump to that next level. It's really hard to say. I mean, does Bryson stop better at hitting early in the count? Maybe there's something there. Alec Bohm, I think, to some degree, is sort of what he is at this point. I don't know how much more room there is to grow there. But, like, can they get a better season out of Bryce Harper, healthy over 162? I think so. Can they get a better year out of Trey Turner than what we saw for the first few months of last season? You know, be more of the player that we saw post-All-Star break? I think that that's a reasonable expectation. Can Brandon Marsh continue to get a little incrementally better? I I think so. You know, there's a lot of different parts of this team that I like. And I think that they're going to be good, but I will tell you, I agree. And I sounded like an idiot when I said this last year, but I don't think that it's a repeatable formula to just say, hey, we're going to get pushed around, lose the division by 14 games, and we're going to get you in the playoffs again because we're that team and you're not. Like, they very well could win 90 games this year, watch the Braves win 102, and then go beat them in October again. But is that really the the formula that you want to rely on? And I think it's important for the Phillies, maybe not necessarily to win the NL East this year, but to compete in the NL East. I think that this team needs to grow up a little bit. Like, as, as much as they deserve applause for what they've done the past two years, making two deep playoff runs, 
They also have not won the World Series. And last year, they had the inside track to do it. And two years ago, they were two wins away, and they didn't get it done. So to me, it's like, you know, this year I would like to see them compete. I'd like to be in the middle of September and see this team looking at the Braves and saying, we can get these guys. Yeah. You know, at least be competitive. Yeah, different we're from punting the division at the end of May. Yeah, different from looking at the wild card standings yeah. and saying, ah, we're two games up on Arizona with a week to go here. And, and like, that's your push uh, yeah. to try to get in. Um, let me get your thoughts. And I think, um, you know, I don't know. Do you think their offseason approach was the result of their offseason was their approach? Was the result what they set out to do? I think that they are looking for difference makers. And, you know, the, the story that kind of emerged here over the last couple of days was that they were in on Yamamoto to a higher degree than even the Dodgers were, uh, that they were financially motivated more than any team to get that deal done. And I think that that would lend itself. And then people say, well, well, they didn't get it done, so why didn't they spend elsewhere? And I think that they believe, and I, I kind of am in agreement with them, that that difference maker to that level doesn't really exist. And I think if you're going to do it, if you're going to get aggressive and you're going to spend crazy money, and I, I just think it has to be for the right player that you feel like is truly going to be able to push you over the top. And I would not be surprised. And I said this last year, and it didn't really play out that way, nor did it play out the way the, the, this way the year before. But I think that they enter the season knowing, hey, we probably have some work to do to be the Dodgers, to be the Braves. We are willing, if it's the right player, you know, if that right guy becomes available in July, we're going to go do it. And, and I think that they kind of have the ammo to do it. I think they have the motivation to do it. And I think they will do it if that that player materializes. Yeah, that's the interesting part about this. So, obviously, when the season starts, Bob, everybody gets excited. You want to get this thing going with the complete team. But it, do you feel after the offseason they make the big approach to Yamamoto, they don't get him, that that move is still in their back pocket then? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's it's all about the context. It's all about the need. You know, where are you at in the standings? Are you do you have a shot? I mean, this team should be in position to make the playoffs. You know, come come the trade deadline, it really is though about who is available and what is the what is the motivation on the other side of the deal. But I think the Phillies are going to be extremely motivated. You hear the talk down there, and I don't think it's lip service. Like these guys know that it's time to win it. And the owner wants to win it. And he's talking about winning a championship. And I think right now they look at it and they say, all right, the Dodgers are the Dodgers sitting there with a hundred and three and a half win total, you know, at, at different sports books. They know that they're way behind the Braves. They know they're way behind the Dodgers. They know they have a, a damn good team, but they know that they have to improve it. And I think that they'll look for ways to do that when the season starts. Yeah, that, that's the one thing is uh, which guy can exceed the expectations that he had um, I guess Trey Turner could have a better year than he had last year, right? You mentioned Harper missed the first, you know, two months of the season. How many extra wins is that worth? And is Turner performing and Harper being healthy the whole year, does that get you an extra 10 wins, 15 wins? I don't know. 
Well, I, I think that the, it starts by not going 22 and 30 over your first 52 games. You know, I'm not saying that the Phillies have to come out and have an April like they did in 1993, but you know, you you can't start the season two months in on Memorial Day, seven, eight, nine games under 500. You know, turn that on its head, be five, six games over 500 through two months. And I think that, you know, you can realistically say, all right, we've been down this road before. We know how to play meaningful games late in the year. We're good at that. And I, I, you know, I think that that's where you kind of take it from 88, 90 wins to 95, 96 wins. And you hope, too, that the Braves, after the last two years, being these world beaters during the regular season, do they kind of look at it and say, all right. Maybe we ease off the gas a little bit here. Maybe we don't need to win 104 games and have the best offense of all time because what's that recently gotten us? And so I could see the Braves sort of taking their foot off the gas a little bit, the Phillies being a little bit more motivated to, to excel in the regular season and bridge that gap. I would pick Atlanta right now. But I would be surprised if they win this division by eight-plus games. I would. Right, like uh, Atlantis says, uh, maybe the way to do this is go through the wild card. So we don't want to <laughs> yeah. win right this yeah. year. Um, I'm interested to see one thing when I check out this spring training that I don't know what you can learn from how they stagger pitchers, but I'm definitely intrigued by what they're going to try to do with this bullpen. I've been very high on Kirkering, as you know. And uh, I think that to me, if I'm the Phillies, I was I'm having a meeting with uh, the the brain trust, and I'm saying we want Kirkering to be our guy. Like, and I don't know what you do in spring training to find out if he is that guy, but that's the story for me that I'm trying to, to that I want to pay the most attention to. Is there a story for you that you want to pay the most attention to this spring? Because obviously Rojas playing center field, it almost feels like a fait accompli now because of Marsh's situation. Yeah, I'm going to kind of stick in the bullpen here. Uh, and while Kirkering, I think, is massively important and his development's going to be crucial to their overall success, I, I have two big questions aside from him. Can Sir Anthony Dominguez be the guy that we saw in 2022, or is he going to continue to be this erratic guy who's a little bit scared to be in the zone? He's kind of feeling for his pitches falls behind accounts and he becomes hittable. Are we going to get that guy again? Or are we going to find a, a way, is this team going to find a way to kind of set it back and, and get him back to a point where he's confident and he's willing to attack hitters in the zone? And I think also, when you talk about being confident attacking hitters in the zone, I thought nobody was better at that last year out of that bullpen on a consistent basement, basis than Jeff Hoffman. And, you know, can he replicate the success that he had last year? Right. Because, man, like, there's some big arms out there with a lot of upside. But, again, like, you've got to put it together, and there is a lot of volatility there. Like, there's high ceilings. There's also low floors here. I definitely think the Hoffman, because bullpen arms are so fickle. One year they're, you know, roll-aids relief, man. Do they still do that? Yeah, I don't think I don't actually know if they're doing the roll aids. I think roll aids might be out of the big spend marketing right now. <laughs> the roll aids relief man. One year you're yeah. in the market and you're in the, the 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 mix for that. Then the next year you're just a vagabond bouncing from team to team. Uh, is Jeff Hoffman going to be an important arm, or is he going to be the guy that had his big year and then goes back to anonymity? We'll see. There they they've got a couple of interesting bullpen stories. You mentioned Dominguez. He has had a very eye. I mean, he came in like a gangbuster. Missed two years. Years, was awesome in the run to the World Series last year. Highly inconsistent. Don't know what to think there. All right. 
Season starts on Saturday. The Grapefruit League season begins on. See my spring training shirt in the background over my shoulder over there? That's very nice. Ready yeah, to go, Spring man. training baseball. Tune in on Saturday. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Let's Looking go. forward to it. Bob Wankel, don't forget to subscribe to RedOctoberPhilly.com. Crossing Broad. They got the podcast crossed up with him and Anthony Sanfilippo. You can listen to that as well. And Bob will be right here with us for the baseball season on the Sports Bash. Thank you, man. All right, Mike, talk soon. All right, that's Bob Wankel from uh, Crossing Broad. Covers the Phillies uh, for them. He has the newsletter, Red October Philly, which he is going to be doing, he said, like three days a week during the season. And then hopefully with October baseball, he'll be able to get you more on the Phillies every single day. He did that every single day last year for uh, the playoffs. You guys can let me know, 609-403-0973. Who's one Philly player that you think can exceed expectations. In other words, they will have a better year this year than they had last year. And I think you need to have at least two or three of those type of seasons to overtake the Braves. So who are two Phillies, maybe three, that have a better season this year than they had last year? 609 403-0973. Anybody, like, does Bryce Harper have a better year? Okay, I can take that because he missed however many games last year. He missed uh, April and May. He, he came back right around June. Trey Turner, if he if he performs like he did in August and September, you got a pretty good player. you got an MVP candidate. Can he do that the whole season? Um, can Alec Bohm have a better year? I don't know, man. He had 97 ribbies. He had an amazing year. And I like Bohm. But he had an amazing year hitting with runners in scoring position. I mean, he was almost flawless in that role. Can he do that? You've got, um, I don't know, who are some other candidates that you could say, this guy can exceed what he did last year. Eh, There's a lot to ask there. So think about that. 609 When we come back, got some information, some news. Derek Gunn dropping just moments ago regarding Jalen Hurts and some news around him. It's mock draft season. We'll look to that as well. This is the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. It's 3.30 on a Wednesday. Sports Bash. I'm Mike Hill. This hour brought to you by Broadley's Plumbing, Heating, Air Conditioning. Broadley's your trusted source for heating and plumbing service and installation for generations. Call them at 390-3907 in the 609 or visit them online at broadleys.net. So Derek Gunn, veteran NFL reporter who covers the Eagles, tweeted this out just moments ago. According to sources, Jalen Hurts' big contract pulled him in numerous directions on and off the field and put him under a lot of pressure that he didn't handle well. Then Big Dom got suspended, and he controlled Sirianni's emotions on the sideline. In his absence, Nick got into numerous arguments with players and coaches during games. I don't know if that makes anybody feel good. 
<laughs> I mean, really. I mean, and Derek Gunn's not the kind of guy that's going to be sensationalizing. I mean, I certainly, if Derek's going to put something like that out, uh, Gunner's the kind of guy who's a pretty straight-up guy. I mean, I know a lot of people are talking about this Craig Carton stuff from yesterday morning. I don't know if you caught wind of this at all, but he essentially is on his show, which I don't even know what channel it's on, to be honest with you. Do you? Yeah, it's on FS1. Okay, FS1. All right. So he has his show on FS1. I do know who Craig Carton is. I just didn't know what channel his, his show was on. Right. But he essentially went on there yesterday and said, I know what happened to the Eagles, and I'm not going to say, but there's two high-profile players, and what happened would splinter any man's relationship, and that's all I'll say. So he essentially just said, do what you want with this, and then gave you nothing else. I mean, so the insinuation is you have two high-profile players. They, they There's a relationship that has been splintered, and that he, he added that he would be pretty surprised if both of these guys would be back. In other words, one guy would be gone, the other guy would stay. And everybody's, like, been made to be like, all right, well, what the hell does that even mean? You know, like, what, what are you yeah. insinuating here? Well, I think what he's insinuating is there's two high-profile players on the Eagles whose relationship went south for reasons which I will not tell you, but you go figure it out. So I was talking to John McMullen this morning. And he said he had texted a source with the team who texted him and said, total BS. Okay. Well, um, I also know that Adam Schefter was on in Philly this morning, and they asked him about it and basically gave the same answer. Uh, Schefter said, quote, I texted someone in the organization yesterday, and the text I got back was, quote, none of that bleep happened. So I don't know what to make of all that. But what I will say is I don't look at Derek Gunn and say, all right, I'm not buying what Derek Gunn is selling. Right. I think Gunn is a straight-up dude. From the times I've met him, I never would say, well, this guy's blowing smoke up people's keisters. He's a good dude, and I think that has some merit. So that Jalen's contract pulled him in numerous directions yeah. on and off the field and put him under a lot of pressure they didn't handle well. And we talked a lot about this. I talked about this, that Hertz has been the guy who has constantly been fighting to prove, to prove, to prove, to prove that he belongs. He finally proved that he belonged and got rewarded for it, and then he didn't handle it well. It's almost like this guy constantly has to be the underdog. He can't be the favorite. So my question for you, so first about the Hurts part, I want to ask you is, so if he was pulled in all these directions, could we project that maybe that experience, he may learn from it and know how to handle that better moving forward? Yeah, I mean, sure. You, the first time you get thrown into having this huge contract and everything comes with it, now you're more prepared. It's like, you know... The first time we went to the Babe Ruth World Series, we were wide-eyed, bushy-tailed. We didn't know what to expect. Well, the second time, we knew, all right, there's a parade. They're going to have a speaker. They're going to meet, you know, tons of people. There's going to be big crowds, and you got to deal with all this stuff. Right. The third time we went, it, we handled it even better to the fact that we won the World Series. Right. So, yeah, sure, you can figure things out the more that you have to deal with it. Now, the other part of it is, well, the big Dom thing. You know, people joked, oh, this is a big Dom problem. But what does it say that you have to have a guy on the sideline controlling your coach? Well, I think that goes to another question I have, which is, is this where 
when people talk about how Nick Sirianni needs strong coordinators around him, are those strong coordinators part of the people that help Nick stay on the railroad tracks? And then maybe well, Dom apparently had no, to work it's a Dom. Little, well, well, hear me out for a second. Is Big Dom had to he had to work a little extra because there were no other quote unquote adults in the building. Hey, listen, um, he's there for a reason. He has a role on the team for a reason. And if his role on the team is to make sure that Nick Sirianni, who might have a little uh, Italian hot-headedness in him, stays in check, then and that guy's gone and no one's there to say, hey, man, you know, each team in the NFL has the get-back guy so that you don't go onto the field. Right. There's a reason you have the get-back guy, you know, because sometimes your emotions get the best of you. You need someone to tell you. Now, I don't know what to make of... Hey, Dom's not there, so the whole damn thing fell apart? I mean, that sounds preposterous. And that's why I don't think it's that, because we didn't hear about this in year one or year two of Sirianni. We only heard about it after year three. Well, maybe because we didn't realize how much of a role that Dom actually had. You just take for granted that this is the guy's behavior, and, and you don't even think of it. And then the guy's gone, and his behavior. Now, Dom was there, though. Because he's in the picture in Kansas City. Right. So when Kansas City comes and Sirianni's yelling up at the the fans, Big Dom's standing right in front of him. He didn't stop him. (sighs) Yeah, that that one's a little interesting here. So according to sources, Jalen's big contract pulled him in numerous directions on and off the field, put him under a lot of pressure that he didn't handle well. That part of it there, I can certainly say, all right, because I have talked about that myself, is that Jalen Hurts has been the guy who's constantly been fighting for acceptance. He's right. constantly been like uphill battle. You know, I'm the starter, but I'm not the guy you want. And then I get benched, and then I got to transfer, and you know, all of these things have constantly. I sat out a year. I had to sit behind this guy. He took my job. He gets drafted by the Eagles. Nobody wants him. Why'd you take a quarterback in the second round? Then he gets the job. People are saying, "Eh, trade for Russell Wilson. Go out and get Deshaun Watson." And then he comes and has this unbelievable year, and then he gets all the money, and it's like, well, what more do you have to prove? You got the contract. You finally got what you've been working your whole life for. Now, the true greats don't play for money. They play to be immortal. They play for greatness. I guess the next question is, how does Jalen Hurts handle being the guy who now achieved uh, athletic prominence in terms of pay, but yet to hit that in terms of performance. And I think that'll be probably the next step for him this offseason into next year. I, for one, said I didn't have a problem with the Eagles signing Jalen Hurts to that deal because I always look at him as a guy who just keeps working hard, keeps working hard, doesn't care about the money he wants to be. He's always been the coach's son, the underdog, and that. Well, we now have the first crack that maybe that pushed him off the track a little bit. And I'm not saying that he got a big head because he got paid. No. That gun- just all of the distractions right. that come with being the guy who's making all the money. I think that's where what Gunn said is is you have to take what he said and not read into it. Because he didn't say that Hurts got a big head or a big ego. or He said that... He got pulled in so many directions, he had trouble handling it. That's very different than walking around like, you know, 
you're the man now all of a sudden and nobody can tell you anything. They're two different things. Well, listen, I don't have quite the schedule that those guys have by any stretch of the imagination, but there's times where I'm like, I got to go into another meeting. Are you kidding me? With all the ridiculous stuff they have us doing here, you're pulling me into a meeting for a half hour that I'm getting zero from. Right. Like, that's a half hour that I could be using for things that you're complaining that I'm not getting done. Right. So I can understand not having enough time to get what you actually need to get done. And he's saying, look, I got to go talk to this guy. You want me to go interview on this show? You want me to go to that show? You got me calling into the Fox NFL show. You got me calling into NFL Network. You got me making an appearance on Abbott Elementary, the TV show. I got to take time. Because, uh, by the way, I heard the story about that. So the... I don't know if you've, you've never watched the show at Abbott Elementary, have you? I've heard of it. Okay, so. I only heard of it, though, because of Jalen Hurts was in it. <laughs> so Jalen Hurts, Jason Kelsey, and Brandon Graham all make an appearance on the show. And the story that Kelsey tells on his podcast is that they literally told them on like a Friday, basically, after practice, you're all going to go do this now. And they took them up to the Eagles draft room. They used for drafts during the draft. And basically was like, all right, and they did everything in there after practice one day. So if you're Jalen, think about it this way. You just went through practice. You just had a workout. You're tired. Now they're running you upstairs to do this TV thing. It takes probably an hour, 90 minutes of your day. And now you're tired. You're hungry. You didn't get something else done you wanted to get done. You know, maybe by the end of that day, you're just completely burnt out. Listen, I can certainly um, – be cognizant of that they have him going in a lot of directions is that something that would um deter his improvement i don't know i mean he still goes to practice every day but it, it can he's still, maybe- the, he's still in the film room i don't think that it's taking away but i can certainly see him saying i'm just tired of doing this stuff right and you know and i'm i don't I don't want to project anything on the Jalen, but I will say that I do think that we all, when we get overwhelmed by work and circumstances in life, it does affect our work performance. And maybe Jalen is just human and maybe he is just overwhelmed. Here's the question I have. Of the two things that Derek Gunn reported, according to sources, Jalen's contract pulled him in numerous directions on and off the field. It put a lot of pressure on him that he didn't handle well. Or Big Dom controls Sirianni's emotions on the sideline, and without him, Sirianni gets into numerous arguments with players and coaches during the game. Which of those two is the more concerning one? The Sirianni one. Because Sirianni's a grown man, and if he can't control his own emotions, he's another man to help him do that. (laughs) Sirianni needs to go see a therapist. Of course it's the Sirianni one, by the way. Right, of course, it's Sirianni needing another grown man to be standing next to him to make sure that he doesn't act like an idiot on an NFL sideline. Is I mean, it's akin to like the junior football league team has a guy coaching the team, and he's so out of control, but he's got to coach the team because nobody else in town wants to do it, and the team would (laughs) fold if that guy didn't coach it. So they just let him act like an idiot. Like that's a sense, like you're telling me that this guy would act like a total idiot the whole time if now listen, I don't know I can't think of any specific times, maybe one or two, 
where, like, is Sirianni not on camera and just getting into it with players and coaches all the time? Like, is it a significant problem? I can't sit here and say, well, this guy's constantly getting into arguments with players and coaches. Right. Like, I don't know. I mean, was this a bigger problem than we saw? I don't know. So I think that's interesting. We'll talk to Jeff Mosher about it tonight. Uh, football at four here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Over on the text board, Mike uh, says, I don't know, Mike. I think money plays a huge factor, even for the greats. If Patrick Mahomes gets $300 million, I doubt you'll see him say, no, I'll take less. There aren't many Tom Brady's out there. Now, but here's the thing. Mahomes has already taken a con. What's he getting? Like a five? What, what is Mahomes' contract? I'll get it. But, I mean, he's already taken the contract. But the thing is, I think Mahomes came into the league. Now, he wasn't this high number one overall pick. But I definitely think Mahomes, he his was a first dad, pick. Yeah. yeah, he was the 12th pick in the draft. But his dad had been a professional athlete. And I also think there's some guys who come in with the chip on their shoulder, like Mahomes, who said, I'm better than you guys are giving me credit for, and I'm going to prove you wrong. Um, everybody has different personalities. I think we definitely see the difference in personality between Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurts. I don't. Th- I think that's pretty easy to see. Well, it's a couple things. One, so Patrick Mahomes is ten years, four hundred and fifty million. Yeah, he got a four hundred fifty million dollar contract. I mean, he handled it quite well. By the way, can we also say that Patrick Mahomes has had his own moments where he was out of control this year, right? You know, the whole thing versus the Bills, for example. So he's not perfect either. Uh, Sports Bash Live. Uh, Mosher, football at four today. We'll dive deeper into this. Uh, When we come back, does anyone actually care about this high-profile team anymore? That's next. This is the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Tom, it's Flyers Black. He scores! Owen Tippett goes far down! Coverage begins at 7.30. It's Flyers Hockey, 97.3 ESPN. And the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. We got a 12-team playoff coming up, the 5 plus 7 model, and the number one story that peels from that is a team that ain't won since I graduated from high school. That's the number one team! That we gonna talk about when we talk about the playoffs? Something wrong with this picture. When you're doing radio, how often have you talked about Notre Dame? You know good and damn well you ain't have much to say about Notre Dame in recent memory. All right, Stephen A. Smith today going off about the college football playoffs. But is he right? You know, he said something that kind of perked my ears up. Does anybody actually care about Notre Dame still? Like when we were kids... People liked Notre Dame. It was like if you didn't have a college football team, they were really good. And then you had kind of like the Dallas Cowboy effect. Like they were really good, so I'm just going to be a Notre Dame fan. Well, Notre Dame hasn't been any good really since I was in high school. So has that fizzled out? Like is there a group of people now that are like in their 20s and 30s that really are like, dude, why are all these people like always talking about Notre Dame like there's something? They always are just whatever but like does Notre Dame football still have the same stature in the sports landscape that they once did no they don't and I don't think it has as much to do with just them losing it's the fact of the expansion of television you can watch any game anytime now back in the day you only knew a handful of teams and that's why a lot of people grew up rooting for some of these schools yeah, I mean, you had your national, like, 
team that had like Notre Dame still has a national TV contract. They're on Notre, uh, NBC, and they do a good viewership. I'm not going to take that away from them, but I mean. Not all that viewership is young people. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, how many of the people watching are your hardcore, old-school Notre Dame people? In other words, you know, like, the Cowboys thing is always fascinating to me. The Cowboys obviously have this nationwide appeal, but the team hasn't been any good for 30 years. So when is that going to die off that people are like, I'm not a fan of this team. They always disappoint. Notre Dame, same thing. Like, when I was growing up, it felt like Notre Dame was going to win the national championship almost every single year. Um, the last time they did win a national championship, I guess, was what, 88? What was the last time Notre Dame won? The na- I mean, it's been since it, going into the 90s. Yeah, Tim Brown was there. So you're looking and saying, is Notre Dame still have the nationwide appeal that they did. Now, I don't certainly think it's like when we were growing up, when, at least when I was growing up. I mean, Notre Dame was probably the biggest of big. They were the college. I mean, it was different, too. You had Notre Dame. You had Miami. You had Florida State. And then they was kind of transferred over to, like, the Florida Gators got really big there when Spurrier was there. But Notre Dame has always kind of been in the mix. But, Man, they really, I mean, they had a couple of years where they made the BCS and got blasted. They haven't been competitive in any of those games. So if you're a young football fan, it's one of those things where, like, what have they done to make you be a Notre Dame fan? Unless you're just a fan because, you know, dad was or uncle right. was. Uh, 1988, last time they won the national championship, they defeated West Virginia in the Fiesta Bowl. That I year. remember that. Major Harris was the uh, quarterback for West Virginia at the time. So that's the last time Notre Dame has won a national championship. So you're talking to like, like 40 years ago almost. So I don't know. Is Stephen A. Smith right? I, when, when I heard him say this, I said, you know what? That's interesting that who cares about Notre Dame anymore? Like, or am I wrong? Are there people out there listening like I'm 25 years old and Notre Dame is, is, is you know, the biggest thing to me. No, I think most people root for the college that they went to. Yeah, but a lot of people in this area generally, I don't want to say didn't go to like a major, but a lot of people, there's not a major college around here. So you're talking about people in the audience who probably, you know, are not big time college football fans. So they go to the big national. Oh, I'm a Florida State fan or I'm a Miami fan or I'm a Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan. Like, I remember when I used to live in Ocean City, I didn't name my neighbor. He was a massive Michigan fan. Yeah, massive. I know a guy who's a Michigan fan. I know another dude who's a Florida State fan. And I'm like, why? Well, you know, at that time in, like, 1993, Charlie Ward's the quarterback, and they're winning a national championship, and that's when I, you know, why are you a Miami fan? Because of the U. I what about that. the U? We watched Catholics versus convicts. Right. Notre Dame, Miami. Miami hasn't been relevant since then. I mean, right. God's sakes, Miami hasn't been good since 93. That just means I'm getting old. Um, yeah, I thought, you know, it was an eye-opening comment of like, you know what? Maybe he's right. Maybe this Notre Dame thing is kind of over. Maybe this Notre Dame thing has kind of lived out its, uh, its, you know, its lifespan of Notre Dame football. Miami's I could be wrong. Over. Uh, Miami's definitely done. Uh, I don't know that they're coming back either. Um, all right, when we come back, football at four with Mosher. Don't go away. Jersey 97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill 
It's time for Football at Four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Just hungry to bring back another Lombardi to Philly. Uh, it's, uh, the fans deserve it. Our team deserves it. Uh, culture begs for it. Now live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, this is Football at Four. And Football at Four is powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. It's brought to you by Bet365, whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. Well, I'll tell you what's never ordinary. It seems like an Eagles offseason. Whether they are good or not, they win a Super Bowl, crazy things happen. Oh, Nick Foles should be the quarterback. Uh, they make it to a Super Bowl, and uh, here we are now. Jeff Mosher from Inside the Birds podcast, InsideTheBirds.com, joins me uh, with a lot of craziness being talked about around the Eagles. Jeff Mosher, what's up, man? Hey, Mike, what's going on? It's, uh, you know, we're, we're coming up on the NFL scouting combine next week in Indianapolis. We're talking free agency and how the Eagles are going to improve their team. But I know that you're about to ask me questions, not about incoming players, but about in-house players and crazy uh, reports. Not 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 Derek Gunn, but, you know, other reports yeah. of, uh, you know, weird dissension and things along that Along yeah. those lines. Yeah, no, yesterday that whole report, uh, I, I don't even want to say report, just uh, basically a theory or I don't know what you want to call it came out. And I don't even know that I thought to address it because I thought it sounded so ridiculous at the time. And then Derek Gunn's report came out today. Now, Derek's a guy I really respect, and I don't think he's just throwing stuff out there to see what kind of response he gets in his social media uh, you know, mentions here. So... I would say, do you think these are tied together? Um, no. Are you talking about Derek's report and Craig Carton's, or just Derek's report about two different things being tied Derek's together? report and Craig Carton's. What Craig insinuated is yeah, Derek's not, uh, is Derek's report saying yes, there may have been something to that. I'm not. I'm not the one to to do that. To draw parallels, cause and effect, to even address the kind of um, re- report or innuendo or wherever you want to call it from from Craig Carton. You know, he didn't want to elaborate. He put it out there. That that's his cross to bear. Uh, I do think Derek's is more. It, it relates to something Adam and I spoke about maybe a couple of weeks ago when the season ended on Inside the Birds podcast about Jalen Hurts. And, you know, if you look past the 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 the, re, the not so great year as a quarterback, not a terrible year, just not, obviously not the year before, but some of the issues that we had heard and talked about and discussed on the podcast were that people had observed that, um, you know, he, he had the big contract, he did – present himself as at times as someone feeling the weight of that and that in general his body language and his leadership when things were not great there at the end of the year last five six seven weeks was not great and that's something he needs to work on so that part of Derek Gunn's tweet makes a lot of sense and, and is something that we've discussed based on what we heard you even heard players Mike in the locker room at times after some of those games saying hey we need to keep our heads up hey our body language needs to be better i believe lane johnson and jason kelsey both made remarks toward the end of the year about body language and if you look at jalen hurts his body language when things were going south was not of a guy rallying the troops but of a guy kind of sitting on the bench brooding uh mad probably mad at himself knowing jalen i don't think he it's not a finger pointing thing it's just when your team needs a lifeline when it needs a pick me up 
the quarterback needs to be the one that provides it. And I think you've made a really good point over the last hour or so saying that, you know, he's always been the underdog who has doubted and been able to prove everybody. And now he's in a position where he's already proven it. He did the year before, and now he's got to continue to lift up others. And maybe he's not built that way. Maybe he feels everybody's got to be like him, that when your back's against the wall, you got to try harder. You got to do more. Now, well, you know, when you're a quarterback, you got to be adaptable and throw your hand uh, or your arm around the shoulder of a teammate who might not be wired like you. So um, that's a learning lesson for Jalen Hurts to be able to take in to the next year. And then the second part of it, I heard you say, and I, and I agree with it, if, if Nick Sirianni's entire emotional barometer is controlled by the head of security, uh, then that's a real, that's an issue. And that, listen, we've talked about Nick's attitude, his hot-headedness a lot this year on the podcast. I, I don't like to just go on my own. I've talked to a lot of people around the league, and I get a very mixed um, opinion on his, how he carries himself. There are people I've talked to who thinks that the way he carries himself, you guys mentioned the Kansas City game and other times, is unbecoming of a head coach. There are people who I talk to who say, you can't not be who you are. And if that's who you are and your players are okay with it and – react well to it then that's who you are and you don't care what the outside thinks so i don't know that there's one answer mike but i would say i i personally think it's problematic if you need your own personal thermometer taker right if you need somebody to cool you down from getting into sideline squabbles then you need to look at yourself as a head coach in the mirror and say, and i think nick sirianni has actually said that right in one press conference he said i got to do a better job on the sideline of controlling my temper now could that be a real I got to do a better job or a coach speak I got to do a better job? I don't know. But just like Jalen Hurts, I think a lot of things that have happened this offseason have probably humbled up Nick Sirianni too. So I would imagine he's looking in the mirror. Yeah, and and listen, I don't know if there's any, if you can recall, like yeah, maybe there was a few, to, but like was anything that Nick did on the sideline, does it stand out so much that was a factor in them completely collapsing? No, but I mean, as a head coach of a team, you're constantly preaching your to your team, keep composed. Let's not see, see, have dumb penalties. Let's make sure we're mentally tougher than our opponent. Let's make sure we're more disciplined than our opponent. How do you preach that but have numerous instances where you lose control on the sideline or you start yelling at the other team in a preseason game when your quarterback gets hurt, Robert Sala, uh, or when you are pointing at uh, Pete Carroll because he puts his offense back on the field during a review that has a bit like you see there, there are probably five or six times where you can think of Nick Sirianni interactions on the sideline that are not what you typically see from an NFL head coach. And you know how it is. The fans, they love it. They crave it. They like that stuff. But NFL people don't always love it and crave it and like that stuff. Uh, so just for the people tuning in are like, what's going on here? Derek Gunn, veteran Eagles reporter, has been around this team for a while. Not a sensationalist type of guy. Says, according to sources, Jalen Hurts' big contract pulled him in numerous directions on and off the field and put under uh, a lot of pressure that he didn't handle well. So I guess to further that conversation is, does that concern you to hear that like maybe he just isn't the face of a franchise that you hope your quarterback is and that you almost need your quarterback to be? 
that concerns me if we're talking about this again at this time next offseason. I'm a big proponent of you got to give a player a chance to grow some. You got to give a coach a, a chance to grow some. You know, I didn't think firing Nick Sirianni would be a good idea in the offseason. Uh, and I, I think Nick Sirianni, like I said, has to look in the mirror and say, what do I need to do better? What do I need to do differently without changing who I am? Can he be an emotional guy at times? Yeah, nobody's saying you can't be emotional. Pete Carroll's emotional. Um, other guys who have had success in the NFL have shown emotion. It's just how far you're going to take it. Are you squabbling with players on the on the sideline more than once or twice? Are you talking to fans in the stadium as you exit? Are you you know because that stuff that stuff follows you throughout your career? Uh, and I'm sure the Kansas City fans are having the last laugh right now uh, as they won a Super Bowl and Nick Sirianni had a slide. So either that or you got to have the the most thickest skin in the world, Mike, and the best job security in the world to be able to get away with that. Yeah, I mean, obviously. Even the great Bobby Knight could not get away with that for too much longer at Indiana before <laughs> they eventually said, you know, it's been a long time since that undefeated season of yours, uh, and there's been a lot of infractions. There's been a lot of, you know, words coming out of your mouth, a lot of actions, and then, you know, the late Bobby Knight, by the way, I should say. But, you know, that that's my point is that even the most talented, if they can't keep it in check, then it's eventually going to come back to them. Yeah, well, um, I, the, the second part of the report, I read the first part. Big Dom, when he got suspended, according to Derek Gunn, he controls Sirianni's emotions on the sideline. In his absence, Nick gets in numerous arguments with players, coaches during games. And, and I asked, you know, just randomly, you know, which of these is more concerning? It's got to be the Sirianni part of this, right? I mean, that one's the one that you're like, you really need to have Big Dom on the sideline. Like, people were joking at the point, ah, it's Big Dom getting suspended. That ruined the season. And then here we are in February saying, did that have something to do with the team falling apart? I mean, it's crazy to think. It's it's wild. I mean, the whole the whole <laughs> The whole story of Dom, to me, is one of the most fascinating stories in the NFL because I don't know of any other head of security who is as important, who gets as much airtime. I remember being a kid in high school, Mike, you probably felt the same way, thinking to myself, there is not a special teams coordinator who's ever been in this game who gets more attention and video airtime than the Cowboys got Joe Aversano. Remember, he was all like you. I'm like, this guy's a special teams coordinator. You think he was the president of the damn team. And that's the way it feels like with Dom. I mean, I walked out of my gym the other day where my, my daughters go take their instructions and a guy walks in and he's wearing a free Dom sweatshirt. And I'm like, and I love Dom, by the way. Dom's, I consider Dom like a friend. He's a good guy. I see him everywhere. He's really one of the nicest guys. Very mellow, by the way. Too. Most people think he's like, you know, always getting into. No, he, the reason why he's Nick Sirianni's other guy is because he can mellow something out. But seeing free Dom sweatshirts now all over my neighborhood is just very <laughs> odd. The whole Dom story is very weird in general. Um, but yeah, I, I would say this, though, Mike. Coach, I don't know if the public knows this as much, but coaches squabble a, a whole lot on the sideline or on the headphone to their coordinators or the guys up in the booth. They're constantly arguing about go for it, don't go for it, constantly calling out different plays. I want this, you want that. So I I don't want people to think that it's always smooth and hunky-dory on the sidelines or up in the booths, the communication. There's a lot of MFing going on uh, every single team, every single Sunday, Thursday night, and Monday. But it's different when – 
you're physically doing it, you know, in front of everybody or your, it's your players too. Yeah. I mean, you, you, there has to be a line that uh, you don't cross. Jeff Mosher, Football 4. So the, the hurt stuff, uh, how do you interpret what – I mean, are you, are you interpreting him saying, look, he just had a lot of meetings and a lot – I mean, not meeting, but like um, – you know, interviews and sponsor stuff that maybe was just like he wasn't prepared for, or do you think it's more than that? Well, I think that that might be a part of it. Uh, a guy who's so regimented and so routine, uh, certainly, you know, he was in a lot of commercials. He had things uh, going on outside of football last off season um, that were probably taking him away. But I, I, that, that to me is not a connection to how you're carrying yourself as a leader, how you're helping young players or players who are alongside you grow develop keep their calm uh i just think his leader i know i know we talked about what a great leader he was and he is there's a difference right between leading by example which i think he's done a pretty darn good job of over the course of his nfl and college career but then there's a difference between that and then sort of also leading by your how you react to your teammates how you treat them how you know that everybody is wired differently and what it takes to get the best out of everybody. Jalen Hurts clearly knows what it takes to get the best out of himself. Uh, I think he also has to understand what it takes to get the best out of his teammates when things aren't great. Yeah. And two years ago, it's like they never really had a patch of adversity. Last year they did and things didn't, they didn't handle it well. Uh, Jeff Mosher from the Inside the Birds pocket. I guess I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, uh, do you lend any credence to the Carton stuff? Like, have you talked to people, sent any text? I know I was on with McMullen this morning. He said he did text a source. They shot it right down. I know Adam Schefter has been on the record on Philly Station and said nothing to it, but uh, I give you a chance to, to say something about it, I guess. I got, I really got nothing to say. I'm not, I, I, no one's told me that, you know. I mean, Adam and I are as plugged in as. I only, and I guess mean, I guess I only asked the question. Really know everything, but like, right, I only asked the question because. Oh man, you know. And I asked the question only because you know a couple of years ago there was an article about Wentz. The guy got blasted for, and it turns out that you know he wasn't wrong about it. Two years later, and and you know nobody remembers two years down the line. Hey, that guy was right about that, but uh, at this stage. Uh, you're, you're essentially saying no credence to what, what you're hearing there or what, what he's you saying know, I'm there. I'm saying I'm not reacting to it because it, something very well could have happened. I sure. don't know. But the point is, like... He was just so people. vague about it. Right, and we speak to people every day, and, like, you know, you would think some of the remnant of that would have crept in. Now, the thing with the Joe Santaliquito article from years ago, and not to, like, be patting ourselves on the back, but when that came out, Adam and I... Uh, we were just sort of starting inside the birds at that time because it was this, right after the Super Bowl uh, going into 2018. And one of the things we said going into that year was you've got no more John Filippo, And this is a guy who really held Carson accountable. They had a good working relationship. It, was, it wasn't always uh, – it was always respectful, but it wasn't always agreement. John really had to coach Carson. And once he left and Frank left and you started to have Press Taylor involved, we questioned – whether or not Carson was going to be able to adapt to somebody who wasn't the same way with him. And it turned out to be very true. And that was a big part of Joe Santa Cuido's article too. So we read a lot of that and said, you know what, Joe's, Joe's not only onto something, but we've discussed some of this with Carson. We knew it was coming. We knew that he could be a hard headed quarterback. So again, I'm not saying 
nothing happened, like there's no situation. Maybe something did happen, but it's not as big of a deal as Carton suggesting. I, I don't know. It just never came, never hit my ears. All right, uh, Jeff, couple free agent things. Uh, I don't know that you get the Jimmy Shapiro odds, but they got sent to me right before the show. I thought they were some interesting ones, including running backs. Austin Eckler, Eagles, 6-1. to one. Uh, Derek Henry, Eagles, 5-1. to one. Saquon Barkley, Eagles, 10-1. to one. Tony Pollard, Eagles, not only were they 5-1, to one, they were the favorite to land Tony Pollard. So you put any stock that the Eagles will be – uh, big name hunting in free agency at running back. Uh, the history of organization tells you to not not let Vegas have your money on that one because the, it's not that the Eagles don't pay running backs. They paid LaShawn McCoy, paid Brian Westbrook. They pay guys that they groom into you know, electrifying three down running backs at a time where they can get those guys under a team-friendly contract. They, when's the last time they went out in free agency and got themselves – a running back that they were going to pay. DeMarco Murray, I guess. Yeah, that is. But that really wasn't the Eagles. That was Chip Kelly, who is a totally different kind of coach. And, yeah, and I don't know what they totally paid. I don't know what stuff. they paid LeGarrette, but I mean. That was a one-year deal. Yeah. They got him in May. So that, that to me, now I will say this. I do think the running back market, and I heard you say this and I agree with you, I don't think it's going to be as good. Um, as the running backs hope it will be. I don't think that if you if you have this many running backs, Saquon, Tony Pollard, Josh Jacobs, and Derrick Henry, let's say they all sign deals, right? Decent deal, whatever, for whatever it is. That's four teams that just arm themselves with a running back. How many, how many more teams are going to be out there looking to spend money on running back? Not too many here. Teams aren't trying to buy running backs anyway. So that makes it hard for guys like, Austin Eckler or um, what are the uh, some of the other names you mentioned? Yeah, there? Pollard, Derrick Henry, Eckler, um, uh, Saquon. Yeah, I mean, I just don't think six teams are going to go out there and spend even mid-sized contracts on six running backs, right? So to me, oh, DeAndre Swift, that's the name. It sort of hurts DeAndre Swift, in my opinion, uh, unless the team falls in love with him. But it makes it easier for the Eagles to maybe want to bring him back on a one-year deal, DeAndre may say this is not the year to be a free agent with so much competition and so few teams wanting to spend on running back. So I'll sign a one-year deal uh, with the Eagles and try to have another good year like I just did, stay healthy, and then next year maybe there'll be more money. But I, like Miles Sanders signed for $6 million. That was the highest last year. I don't know if Barkley is going to get that. I mean, I know he's a better athlete than Miles Sanders, and, and I, I do – I don't think he's special. I think he's a special athlete, but not a special running back. Derrick Henry is probably going to be the type of guy who goes to a run first team like a Baltimore, like maybe the Chargers with Harbaugh there. Like uh, I'm trying to think of another run first team, maybe a Miami, you know, like that. He might be a good one year, two year deal, by the way. He's still a pretty decent running back who had a decent year on a really, really bad team. Um, Would he come to the Eagles? I think only if, he had no takers and he wanted to sign a one-year deal and it was below market value. And if he understood that he was going to be a part of a, of a committee of sorts, or at least two or two headed uh, running back show. Right. Uh, Jeff Mosher, uh, it's going to be an interesting offseason if this is the way it's starting, obviously. <laughs> and, and by the way, I say this because it felt like everybody was saying It'll come out. It'll eventually come out, like, what happened with this team. Because nobody can accept what they saw and just say, that eh, happens. Because 
No. No, it doesn't happen like like it happened uh, this season. And that's why everyone's like, okay, I'm just waiting for something to come out. And I guess we're getting little breadcrumbs leading us down the path of destruction for the 2023 Philadelphia Eagles. Well, I would I would say, and I think you probably would agree here, most people would, that even if you pick two random high-profile players on the Eagles and said those guys hated each other and had a real big issue, that doesn't explain why 11 to 13 other Eagles and coaching staff, uh, coaches on the coaching staff, all of a sudden were pretty terrible too, right? Like, as ba- unless this was like a civil war, which we would have, I mean, come on, that would have been obvious, right? Right. Um, Unless it was like that, it doesn't really explain why everybody uh, seemingly took a step back last year. Uh, Jeff Bosher, the Inside the Birds podcast, it dropped, and you can take a listen to their look at some of the offensive free agents that might be appealing to the Philadelphia Eagles. That's wherever you get your podcast, and just search for Inside the Birds to find that. Jeff Bosher and Adam Kaplan lay down those tracks, and they'll be here on Football at Four all offseason long. Thanks, Jeff. You got it. All right. Uh, and Football 4, of course, is brought to you by Bet365. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN. So, Flyers back in action tonight, by the way. They take on uh, Chicago. And you can listen to the game right here on 97.3 ESPN. Also, I was looking at Daniel Jeremiah's Mock Draft 2.0. You guys know how much I love a Mock Draft I don't love his mock draft, though. Um, Not this one. His first one was an offensive lineman. Didn't like that one. His second attempt goes to the defensive side of the ball. Not a big fan of this pick either. You can check it out over on our website or our app, 97.3ESPN.com slash app, to see who Daniel Jeremiah thinks the Eagles will take at pick number 22. But when we come back, he's back. It is five. From Danny Rye, he's going to be joining us throughout the offseason here with five. Also, Nikki Earnshaw, a couple of our weekend producers are going to be joining the show with a little bit more bigger roles here on the Sports Bash starting today. It's five from Danny Rye, and that's coming up next on the Sports Bash live on 97.3 ESPN. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. All right, 4.30, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Flyers fans, it's time to level up your game day ritual with the ultimate power duo, the Flyers and Union Forge Vodka. Cheer on the Flyers with the best-tasting vodka produced right here in Philly. Grab a Union Forge bottle today. Don't forget Flyers hockey tonight right here on 97.3 ESPN. And you can hear that game 7.30 against the Chicago Blackhawks. 
Flyers uh, coming off the loss against the Devils in the Stadium Series game. That's the last time we saw them. The last time we saw Danny Rye was five from Danny Rye. We were at Ocean, which is now the new sponsor of our studios here at 97.3 ESPN. But the man is back. It's time for another edition of Five from Danny Rye. Danny Rye. It's great to be back, Mike. Can you hear me all right? I hear you fine. All right, perfect. Yeah, a lot of news that went down since the last time I talked to you. I hope I'm not too echoey here in my uh, home studio. But I want to start off with some news that broke today. According to Derek Gunn of Jacob Sports, sources told him that Jalen Hurts' big contract extension pulled him in numerous directions on and off the field, putting the Eagles' QB under pressure that he, quote, didn't handle well. Gunn also tweeted that Chief Security Officer Big Dom DeSandro, we've talked about him quite a few times on the Sports Bash, he apparently controlled Sirianni's emotions on the sideline throughout the season, and then once Big Dom was suspended, Sirianni got into numerous arguments with players and coaches during games, and just really couldn't handle his emotions. So, I mean, obviously, Mike, there's a lot to unpack here. The news kind of broke from Derek Gunn while you were on the show. So I want to ask you, after hearing this news, and Josh as well, I want to ask you, are you worried about the future of the Eagles franchise led by Jalen Hurts and Nick Sirianni? Uh, all right, so there's a lot here. We just had Mosher on for football at four, and we were kind of going through this here. The the Hurts part of it, I don't have as big a problem with. Like, okay, he had all this thrown on his plate. He wasn't prepared for it. But now you would think going into this offseason, all right, I'm much better prepared for I've got to do this thing. I've got to do this interview. I've got all these different things. I just got a better I have to have better time management. You know, some people struggle with time management until you get into that routine, and then getting into the routine helps. I think that will help. The Sirianni stuff, I definitely think, is interesting. Now, you might say, well, Big Dom's going to be back there. You don't have to worry about that again, and that is accurate. But the fact that that is even a question is preposterous to me that here's an NFL coach that can't control his emotions and needs Big Dom. And we joked about it. How many times were we at Ocean and we joked, well, the the, the season went down the toilet when Big Dom left. And now it sounds like it could have been coinciding with when Big Dom left. Right. It seems like it might have actually gone down the toilet because of direct relation to Big Dom, which just concerns me to the utmost degree, I'll be honest with you. So I want to ask a quick follow-up, too. If the Sirianni report is true, you yeah. know, obviously Gunn has a lot of connections. I'm going to take it as if it is true. Would you have replaced him this offseason knowing he can't control his emotions without an Italian bodyguard? Well, listen, I mean, I grew up in an era where, like, Bobby Knight was throwing chairs across, like, and the guy was one of the great coaches of, uh, you know, our time. Now, that got old at some point, so I don't think it's a fireable offense. Like, if you felt that this guy has the respect of the players and that they don't want him, you know, I would have to imagine that if Laurie got feedback that this guy has to go, he would have got rid of him. So I have to imagine that he had enough support with all of this stuff that Laurie said, all right, I'm going to give you another shot because we think you're the right guy. Because if he didn't have the support, he'd be gone. That's true. I mean, also, too, there's certain things that may have been out of his control. Obviously, the Craig Carton report came out or lack of a report just kind of saying he knows what happened and that it would have splintered any locker room. Uh, so, you know, maybe that's why Sirianni's emotions were flying high, couldn't control them. There's so many question marks right now regarding this locker room and what really led to the collapse. I think, honestly, if if no outside factors were affecting Nick Sirianni's emotions, 
causing him to lose his temper and just amplifying everything. I think that's a fireable offense. As a head coach of a football team, why should you rely on another man to control your emotions and I guess you could say adequately communicate what you're feeling to your players and these coaches as far as to why you're not succeeding. I, I just don't understand why you need another man to kind of reel you in in that degree. I can see, obviously, everyone, you know, Sean McVay, for example, they have these people that hold him from running towards the refs on the sideline. That's yeah. one thing. But well, that's what I said. I said every team coaches. has every team has the get back coach. Like everybody's got right. that guy that says, "Hey, yo, yo, you got to control yourself here." So I'll give Sirianni look the benefit of the doubt to say, if and look, we're not assuming that Big Dom's going to get suspended again. <laughs> I mean, oh, right? I, I mean, I can't even believe that happened. The guy's the been here for how long? Uh, you were angered about him being suspended. I was. I was. Because, you know, he didn't, like, go and shove Greenlaw or anything like that. It was just kind of like well, one thing led to another, got blown out of proportion. Well, Greenlaw, then the karma bit him is that he tripped over the sideline <laughs> and tore his Achilles. Oh, I, I feel bad for him, all jokes aside. That was brutal uh, in the Super Bowl. But, <laughs> all right, moving on to number two. That first report, obviously, by Derek Gunn. There could be more that comes out. I'm intrigued to see if anything else is revealed. But moving on to number two. This happened well over a week ago, two weeks ago, in fact. Chris Sims was a guest on the All-City Arizona Cardinals podcast on Radio Row during Super Bowl week and was essentially asked if he would take Kyler Murray over a quarterback like Jalen Hurts. Here's what Sims had to say in response to that question. I respect a lot about Jalen Hurts, but I, I think Jalen Hurts is also like the most overrated player in football. All right. I just that's that's me. I know I'm wrong. I take a lot of crap about that comment, but, you know, it's a it's a. He plays quarterback for a team that's an all-star team. Yeah. They have the best O-line in football. It's not even close, right? They got maybe the best duos at receiver in all of football, right? I just think if you put some quarterback, other quarterbacks in Philly, you put Kyler Murray there, you'd go, damn, Kyler's amazing. <laughs> Is he the MVP of football? And I think we lose sight of all of that a little yeah. bit. Again, it yeah. gets into the quarterback team thing where right now we're all about the quarterback. And, uh, yeah, he'd be one of those guys that I certainly would go, hey, when Kyler's on his game, he is every bit in the class. So for some reason, this audio and just that interview in general didn't catch much traction until the past few days towards the beginning of this week, at least on my end and from you know things that I've seen. But I want to ask you, Mike, what's your reaction to Sims' comments as far as do you think we as Eagles fans have overrated Hurts after one outstanding body of work in 2022? Um, yeah, I, I mean, to some extent I do. But guess what? That's where he is. It's not like Jalen Hurts is the quarterback of the Las Vegas uh, Raiders. He's the quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles. So this is the weapons. What are you going to do with them? Well, he was almost the MVP award winner two years ago. Now, this year was not nearly as good as the year before for reasons which we can't figure out. I don't doubt that if you put Kyler Murray here with A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith and, and Dallas Goddard and this offensive line, that he's going to be an MVP candidate. For God's sakes, he was an MVP candidate in Arizona for half the season a couple of years ago. So he's not wrong about that. What I will say is he said he's the most overrated player in, in right. football. This is off the heels of him last year, having him as like the 40th ranked quarterback in the league behind guys like Kellen Mund and, and stuff. So uh, obviously, I think he's um, being a little harsh on Jalen, but I I understand what he's saying. Like this is an offense that the quarterback is go whoever it is is going to be very very accomplished because of the weapons that they have. If I could I ask both of you a follow up question, yeah. whose agenda 
against somebody is more aggressive when it comes to Philadelphia sports? Was it Michael Lombardi and his take on Doug Peterson years ago, or is it Chris Sims now with Jalen Hurts? I would say more Sims because he's stuck with it for now a second time. Lombardi, like, I think he said it, look, hey, uh, this is the worst hire of all the coaches or something to that effect, and he was wrong about it. But um, I don't think he was crazy because Doug Peterson was not on any other team's radar to be a head coach. He got this job because of his ties to Andy Reid. That's it. He didn't get it for any other reason other than, hey, you knew Andy. Andy vouched for you. I'm not saying he like he didn't have some – he might have gone in there and said, this is my offensive game plan. And like, no, he had the polish and the rub from Andy Reid. Yeah, I would say Sims, just because he's doubled down on it. And like Mike said, he's kind of been a designated Jalen Hurts hater over the past couple seasons. And, you know, obviously before it wasn't warranted, maybe you can make the argument after this past season that it was. He lost a lot of fumbles. His interceptions were at a career high. So I can see it after this year, but still, to go to the extent that he's the most overrated quarterback in all of the NFL, I think that's a bit far, especially with the turmoil and all of the confusion. And we have no idea truly what happened with that Philadelphia Eagles team. There's so much up in the air right now. So I definitely go with Sims. But quickly, Josh, what do you think about Sims' comments about Hurts? I think it's a dumb comment. I think that Sims has historically been the guy who – loves the skill guy over the intangible guy. And the reason why is because people may not remember, but Chris Sims, when he got to Texas, he unseated at the time one of the best quarterbacks in Texas football history, Major Applewhite. Why? Because Sims was the golden boy with the talent and the skill and the five-star rating. And then as soon as Sims went down, Major Applewhite had to come in and save the season. And then Sims goes on to the NFL, highly regarded, gets injured, has a nondescript career. So I think Sims always seems to be the guy who defends the five-star recruited elite prospect guys because I think he might have a personal grudge against the intangible guy. That could be true. It could also be he's kind of living through those five-star recruits to hope that they pan out unlike he did. Of course, we know that viral clip of Chris Sims not being able to remember the play from John Gruden about five or six times after he explained it to him in Tampa Bay. So, yeah, I mean, I I think this is just over the top, but he's always going to be over the top, I think, with Jalen Hurts until, you know, he puts together, I would say, two to three straight seasons of, I don't want to say MVP-like football because that's hard to ask of a quarterback, but uh, just below elite football, you know, to the point where you can consider him great consistently for three seasons. And even then, he might still not love Jalen Hurts as a quarterback. All right, moving on to number three. I want to talk a little bit about Phillies baseball, first game this Saturday. Uh, in the Grapefruit League against the Toronto Blue Jays at 107. And, well, a huge factor for this team, a a huge player, and obviously the center of this team is Bryce Harper. He spoke with the Philly media upon arrival in Clearwater for spring training and was asked about the rumors that he may want a contract extension. With that being said, Harper did confirm that he and his agent Scott Boris have spoken to Dave Dabrowski about extending him to be a Philly into his mid-40s. He at least hopes to play into his mid-40s, which I don't think there's even a chance of that happening. But my question for you, Mike and Josh, is with eight years remaining on his 13-year deal, do you think it's fair or foul for Bryce to want an extension? Oh, I've talked a lot about this. I think it's a bad look for him. Um, You're three years into the deal. Uh, What what year did he sign? 2019? 
I believe so. so I think it was 2018, after the 2018 season. Right, so 1920, 21, 22, 23. So he's entering his sixth season, actually, uh, with the Phillies. So he still has seven more left to play. Mm-hmm. I just think it's a bad look for him to say, this is where I want to go. I don't want to go anywhere else. I don't want to be traded. And I'm already asking to get this thing extended. I get it. Look, I'm not... I'm not changing my opinion of him in terms of, like, I don't like the guy. Of course, Bryce is one of my favorite guys to get to watch, all that stuff. I just think it's a bad look for him at a time where the team is coming up short of winning championships and to continue to get to that championship, they're going to have to keep adding pizzas and spending money. I, as the owner, don't want to worry about having to pay you more money. I've already taken care of you. I brought you here. Now, if you want me to help you win a World Series, you've got to let me spend money on others, not you, again. So I think right. it's a bad look for him. Especially when you have Zach Wheeler needing an extension. Obviously, he's getting up there in age, but it doesn't matter. That's the price you pay for a pitcher like Zach Wheeler, 34 years old or not. You're probably going to have to give him three, maybe four years, depending on what he's asking for. I would imagine it's more on the four-year side. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm trying to see it from the vantage point that he wants to be a Philadelphia Philly for life. And he, in his mind, believes that he can play past the age of 40. Now, obviously, his contract, as currently constructed, does not line up to get him into his 40s as a Philadelphia Philly. So I'm trying to take it from that. Obviously, the money comes along with that when you get a contract into your 40s. Uh, But I agree with you. I mean, there's so many other needs in the future this team might have, or I should say moves, so many moves in the future this team might have to make in order to get to that pinnacle to win a World Series if they fall up short in this upcoming season. And I don't know how much money he's going to ask for, how much additional money he's going to ask for, how many more years he's going to want and that Dave Dombrowski is going to agree to. But this is like the bottom of the totem pole as far as priorities go right now, especially when it should be right, especially when you're considering this team may make one sleeper move before spring training is over. I mean, who knows with Dave Dombrowski, it's kind of his specialty to pounce on these guys when their market value is diminishing when we get deeper into spring training. But, Josh, what do you think about Bryce Harper asking for an extension just five years in? This will be his, what, sixth season into the contract? I'll just keep it simple. I think this is a Scott Boris problem. I think that Scott Boris is turning out that he is losing his touch and how to handle his clients. We see a lot of Scott Boris clients who are without jobs right now. I think Scott Boris is giving him some bad advice of how to handle it. I think if Scott Boris just stayed away and Harper could just speak for himself, that I think people would have less of a bad reaction. Here's my thing. John Middleton made this bed, and he's going to have to lay in it and fork over the money. The past few postseasons, he's been saying, we would not be here without Bryce. I frankly think Bryce is underpaid. What's Scott Boris and Bryce Harper going to do behind closed doors with that quote? They're going to say, well, he thinks the owner of the ball club thinks I'm underpaid. So let's go get more money in a few more years because I love being in Philly, but I love money just that much more. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Scott Boris definitely has a lot to do with it. I think if it was up to Bryce, he probably wouldn't have asked yeah, see, on it. And, and I don't agree. I think I, I think Boris is doing his job, knowing that this, the Eagles are uh, the Phillies are in a precarious situation. You've got the most popular player in the city. Maybe you're going to say, "Let's get more money." They love you. Look what this team has done. So I don't think he's giving them bad advice. I think he's giving them sound advice. The problem is, I think it's a bad look. Right. I don't think it's bad advice. I just think if you have a different agent that maybe is not as aggressive as a guy like Scott Boris, who's going to get every single penny out of the club that he can, that they might not be discussing an extension. I mean, think about it. It's a 13-year deal. What other agents would probably, five years into the deal, be asking the team, hey, 
We want to play into the 40s. Let's get a deal done now as opposed to four more years down the line when it's getting right. close you to You ask for that deal when you're 38 years old and you're right. still performing. You don't ask now and say, oh, I'm going to play till I'm 45. Well, I don't know how many, much more wear. How many injuries have you had? I got to see you perform past 35 before I start right. thinking about signing you into your 40s. Yeah, me, you, and Josh don't, but Scott Boris, he certainly does. All right, number four, moving on to the Philadelphia 76ers. They're back in action tomorrow night for the first time since the NBA All-Star break. And I want to talk about one of their new additions. Kyle Lowry, the homegrown product, is officially off the Sixers injury report and was a full participant in practice today. Not confirmed, however, but it does mean all signs point to him making his Sixers debut tomorrow night in Philadelphia against the Knicks. My question for you, Mike, and as well as Josh, what are you expecting from Lowry during his tenure in Philadelphia? Could be as short as, you know, this final third of the season. And do you think he'll have to earn the job as backup point guard over recently acquired Cameron Payne? Uh, I don't um, have a lot of expectations here. I wasn't all that excited about this. What I will say is people were all that, uh, all upset that they got rid of uh, Patrick Beverly. He fit in really good. He was a defensive guy. He liked being here. But I'm hoping that Lowry offers more than what Beverly did, and that means the team has gotten better. Beverly was a guy, energy, defense, but doesn't offer a lot of offensive help. Lowry should be able to be a guy who can handle the ball. It's a problem that they've had behind Maxi, and he still can shoot the three, hits about 40% clip. So he should offer more there. That said, not looking at him as a guy who's going to come in and play 30 minutes and help this team and help take him to an NBA championship team. He's just not that player anymore. Do you think he's going to be solidified? as the backup point guard over Cameron Payne, though? I mean, do you think there'll have to be some sort of battle that's, there? To that's that going to be interesting to see if they, you know, because Payne's done a pretty good job in the time that he's been here. I really loved, right. liked the way that he played in Phoenix when he got an extended role a couple of years ago. He's kind of fallen off the map since then. But I think Nurse, who feels comfortable with Lowry, is going to give him the first chance to kind of overtake that role and uh, see how much he still has left in the tank. Yeah, we talked about it the last day we spent at Ocean. I mean, Nick Nurse got the most out of Kyle Lowry out of any coach that Kyle Lowry was under during his career. So maybe if there's anything left in the tank, he can do that, and he will take the backup point guard role solely for maybe his shooting and aggressive defense. But, Josh, what are you expecting from Kyle Lowry? I mean, maybe just like I said, in the final third of this season, because he is on an expiring deal, uh, what are you expecting from him during his tenure in Philly? I expect leadership. I expect some defense, I expect some three-point shooting, but I don't expect a ton of minutes. Yeah, I, I think I would agree with that. I wouldn't be surprised if campaign beats him out in practice for that backup point guard role, but we'll see. And it's funny, too, I do want to mention before I move on to number five, Pat Bev has been on a tour similar to Doc Rivers with these quotes on his podcast. He, <laughs> This one just got me cracking up today. He said on his podcast with his partner, Roan, uh, over at Barstool Sports, if you want to win, you don't trade Pat Bev. Like he's some sort of just franchise altering piece. He's and this never crazy... won a championship in his entire he... NBA career. Right. Leader, don't get me wrong, and a panderer when he's in the city, but now he's going on a kind of crap on Philly tour ever since he's been traded to Milwaukee. So, Well, now he's getting into it with J.J. Redick about uh, oh, yeah. Doc Rivers. I mean, I, I think um, Pat Bev certainly knows how to keep a high profile. <laughs> yeah, saying Doc Rivers saved his career. Get out of here. And then Doc Rivers' own son, Austin, saying he had his best years in L.A. Newsflash, he averaged his career high, both of his career highs, in Philadelphia under Brett Brown, not Doc Rivers. But anyways, I know we're against it. So moving on to number five, 
I want to talk about these new jerseys in Major League Baseball, from the much smaller and curved nameplates to the tightness of the jersey, all the way down to the see-through pants. The new MLB jersey designed by Nike and manufactured by Fanatics have been widely controversial. So my request, not even question, my demand, <laughs> give this so-called, quote, new and improved jerseys a grade on a scale from 1 to 10 and predict how long these knockoff lookalikes will stick around in Major League Baseball. Well, uh, Trey Turner came out and said everybody hates them. The 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 reaction around the league has been terrible. Uh, I can, now they can't do anything this year, but I would imagine right. next season you're going to see tweaks to this. I mean, I saw the pictures of them side by side before it was like announced, and I'm like. What's really the difference between these jerseys? I mean, the, the nameplate's a little smaller, but well, looking at the players in them, they almost look like they're wearing pajamas. Like it it's looks brutal. like a it looks like a like a rec league baseball team that just like said, uh, the guy who was supposed to get us our uniforms didn't get them here in time, so we just had to get like you know we all ran down to the Walmart and bought like whatever jerseys they had in there and then got them screen printed. Yeah, Timmy's mom, he pressed them on, and uh, that's what he got to work with for today. Yeah, like one of the moms on the team has a a screen printer in her garage, and she just put everybody's name on the back because the kids wanted their names on the back because, you know, we didn't have enough money to get them. But somebody's mom knew how to do it and did it for free. That's what what the jerseys look like. I I mean, I don't know. They're an F. I mean, the players don't like how When have you ever heard the players talk about the new uniforms? Like every new uniform, like the City Connects or in basketball, like you've never heard the players like, ah, I don't like these. Like they're terrible. This is the right. first time I've ever heard players come out and, and like audibly say these are terrible. Now, uh-huh. I don't know. They're supposed to be more comfortable. More, it's like the George Costanza Seinfeld episode <laughs> when he tells, uh, you know, that they need to get, uh, you know, cotton jerseys. So, and then they all start shrinking on the players and then they can't run. And, and it, like, it's a total disaster. But, like, yeah, you need a more breathable. That's what Nike did here. Well, it's weird because Mike Trout came out as soon as they kind of were unveiled and said, I love them. I wonder how much money he was paid to say he loves these jerseys because there's nothing to love. (laughs) Was he a Nike guy? Is he still a Nike guy, Trout? I think so. Right. I mean, that would kind of make sense, right? He'd get the bag to to say he loves these jerseys. But Josh, scale of 1 to 10, what would you give these jerseys as far as a grade goes? A 2 because they didn't ask the guys who are wearing the uniforms about if they're any good or not. <laughs> yeah, but at what point in any sport have the players been asked? They just get these jerseys, and most of them are like, yeah, th- these are great. Like, I mean, look, I don't like, like, in basketball, there hasn't been, like, a Sixer City Connect that I've really been like, or whatever they're called. I don't know what they call them. But there, there hasn't been, like, the Boathouse Row ones I didn't love. The gray ones with, like, the Rocky Stars, I didn't love those. Uh, There hasn't been a Sixer one that I'm really like, that's the one. I like the Spectrum one that the Sixer. This one, the ones this year I like, the Brotherly Love with like the, uh, what is it, the the, uh, Septa like kind of insignia. I like the ones this year. But, you know, this is the first time I think I've ever heard the players come out vocally and say, I don't like these. Yeah, I'm going to give it a negative one. Negative one. I almost thought about giving it a negative two. It's... I'm going against my own grading scale right here. It's just brutal. Uh, but that was five with Danny Rye. A lot of fun, Mike and Josh. Looking forward to it next Tuesday and Wednesday. All right. Uh, five from Danny Rye. We'll be back on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. We'll have Nikki Earnshaw on uh, Mondays, Thursdays, and Friday hosting the segment as well. So we'll uh, be incorporating the guys. You can hear Danny on the locker room on Sundays. And right here with five from Danny Rye here on the Sports Bash. All right, man. Well, coming up. 
We got so much more to get into in the 5 o'clock hour here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. Uh, Earlier in the show, we were talking about which Philly athlete would be the number one draft pick in the city. Who is that guy right now? We'll read off your answers to that coming up next on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. Jersey. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live, here's Mike Gill. Final hour of the Sports Bash live, 97.3 ESPN. Mike Gill with you till the top of the hour. My producer is Josh Henning. You know, Josh, so last night, by the way, you know, no flyers, no Sixers have been on, been looking for something to watch. So we got into a show last night. I only watched one episode, but I think it's got me. Wow. I think I'm in. One episode. One episode, I think I'm in. All right. I saw one of the most badass scenes of all time. All time. Unbelievable. Now, are you traditionally an action movie guy at all? No. Or? No. no. But I like a show that, like, you know, I like the, like the um, you know, I mean, I like these shows that, like, make you kind of, like, think think and like you have to figure out who the person is and like they take you on like you know the americans and the, uh, like all that style mm-hmm. so i've been looking for a show the last couple of nights because no flyers no sixers football's over just like all right we got and by the way like you know i can't have my girlfriend subjected to watching sports with me every single night of the week and when there's no games on her and i get into some shows and we like to get into them and you know we've been watching a lot of the harlan coben stuff and they're like those little 10 episode mini series and we've kind of gone through almost all of them and they're all pretty good like safe the watcher different ones so we just watched the new one that just came out um fool me once i think it was called okay and it was 10 episodes you're done in like two days so watch that just got done watching Suits. We watched nine st- seasons of Suits. I mean, we're rocking through. But now, all that stuff's over. Now, we watched a bunch of other things, too. I mean, but, you know, um, we watched, uh, you told us to watch um, Designated, uh, Survivor. Designated Survivor. I like that one. We watched The Americans. We watched The Blacklist. We watched, uh, well, we watched a lot of The Blacklist. Yeah, you didn't make it to season nine. How to Get Away with Murder. We watched that. I've heard that's pretty good. Very good. We enjoyed that. So, like, we've had a lot of these shows. So, we've been kind of like, all right, what are we going to do to fill the void now? So, last night, I gave a shot just out of the blue. I think one of the listeners might have texted it in. Yeah, someone texted in yesterday. So, I said, you know what? Somebody texted this in. And just to give the listeners, like, hey, when you guys give me suggestions, happy hour Friday, like... I pretty much try, at least, almost everything that you guys send my way. Like, you know, the guy who, when we first started Happy Hour Friday, and he sends me Tonewood Fuego, like, you changed my life, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of my favorite beers now. But, yeah, so when I ask, hey, give me a show to watch, I'm going to take it under strong consideration. So we watched a show the other night. And it's a Harlan Coben, but look, I have a hard time. I don't know why. Does anybody else have problems with this? When you turn on a show and it is in another language and you have to watch like the dub version with like the English, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. So like the show I think is in French, 
but they dub the English stuff over top, but over the top. mouth doesn't the mouth match. match. I can't do it. Like, and you know what's funny? We have actually been watching Netflix and Amazon Prime with the subtitles on. Like every show now, we just have subtitles on. Because there's how many times are you watching a show and you're like, what did he just say? And you're both looking at each other like, what, did, what was that? And you're like, now we yep. have the subtitles up at all times. So we're like now watching Netflix and Prime with subtitles up. So the subtitles are up for the show, but the dubbing still bothers me for some reason. So we watched like 30 minutes of this show and we're like, eh, it's not grabbing us. You're out. Out. So out on that one. That has happened a couple times where we turn on a show and it seems like the shows that seem the most interesting all have like English accents, like British. Okay. You know, like, oh, come on. I got to sit through another show where I have to really, like, for whatever reason, when someone is speaking with the English, you know, the British accent, you have to focus like even deeper. Really? I mean, it's like, what did he say? Did he say what I thought he said? What was that? Like, for some reason, like, it, like both of us were like, oh, come on, man. Like, now you have to, like, focus even more on all of the lines. So we started watching that show. We're out, okay? We're, we're out on the dub. So, all right. I said to her the other night, well, I got a text from a listener the other day for this show. I don't know anything about it. I've never heard of it. I'm just going to put it on, all right? So last night, turn it on. And I got to say, you know, it starts off a little weird. All right. The guy doesn't say a word. Mm -hmm. And he's at the counter. Actually, he's not at the counter. He's at a booth in like a little diner. diner he or yeah. orders peach pie. And then he gets arrested. And you're like, where is this going? So he all of a sudden breaks out. And there's a scene that happens where he's in the jail after all this other stuff happens, but he's in jail and there's a gentleman who tries to go after his cellmate and they're like really just messing with this guy. Like, give me your glasses, give me your shoes. And the guy's like this little nerdy guy and right. he's just we handing everything over to this yeah. guy. So then he's basically like, and I need one other thing. And he's a, basically about to like, you know, it don't need to be a too graphic, but yeah. he wanted him to, you know, perform for him. Special all right? services. So at that point, the gentleman jumps off the top bunk of the bed, and he's like, all right, fatso, that's enough. And the guy's like, do you know who you're dealing with? He's like, I'm going to give you three seconds. One. <laughs> and the guy's like, you know who you're dealing with here? He's like, two. And out of nowhere. I mean, he just absolutely cold clocks this dude, smashes his head up against the top bunk bed, and just kicks the living, you know what, out of him. And everybody's like, and he's like, oh, by the way, you owe that guy a pair of glasses. The guy takes off his sunglasses and hands it to him. And he's like walking around the 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 maximum security prison with the other guy's sunglasses on. I said, oh, man, this guy's a badass, dude. And then 10 minutes later, there's another scene where there's like six guys surrounding him in the in the in the jail in the bathroom in the shower, and they're all like, "All right, around this guy." And he says, instead of like, "All right, I'm going to get jumped here," he's like, "I'm going to give you guys three seconds before you make the worst decision of your life." And he goes one, 
two, and he gouges the guy's eye out with his thumb. I was like, oh, we are in on this show, man. We are in. I mean, he gouges the gentleman's eye out with his thumb. He breaks the guy's elbow in half. He basically just rips off the gentleman's foot. I mean, it was an epic ass-kicking. So I know you're all saying, well, what's the name of the show? It's it's, uh, Reacher. I've never seen the actor before. Now, you're probably familiar with him because I guess he yes. was in some sort of, like, Aquaman or something. Well, yeah, so so he's in one of his earliest starts was on the show Smallville, Alan Richson, okay? But he's I've never heard of the guy. But he, he's been in a lot of different shows over the years. But this is kind of like the first time he's been the main star of something. He's been in a lot of shows as, like, a supporting cast guy and everything. Um and I've actually, so he he has actually been on one of my favorite podcasts numerous times called Inside of You. It's a, it's a podcast about where, like, people who work in, like, the, the Hollywood movie industry talk about, like, their lives, how to deal with working in that industry, how, like, it messes them up mentally, basically. Like, it's actually, like, some pretty deep stuff. But, like, Alan Richard has talked about how, like, this show has changed his life. How, like, how much he invested in, like, prepare for this show. Oh, well, it's funny because there were people, like, so I'm like, I don't know who this guy is. I've never, like, I'm one of those people that watches a show and then I'm constantly, like, like on Wikipedia, like, <laughs> who's this guy? What else was he in? You know, this girl, she looks familiar. What else was she in? So, like, right. you're constantly just, like, I'm always, like, researching, sure. always researching, researching, researching. So I'm like, I never heard of this guy. What else is he in? So I'm looking. So when I put the guy in, I'm like, the reacher. And it's like, when you know how, like, Google finishes, like, the sentence. sentence and like, for you. Well, some of the questions, if you click on them, and then it just keeps asking more questions. So one of the questions was, like, is the guy who is the character of the reacher autistic? Like, people were like, is this because he's so methodical? He's so stoic. Oh, my gosh. Like, it was an epic half hour. Now, the show's like 45. There's a little slow parts here and there. But the ass kickings of, of, of that I saw in that show, I was like, all right, this guy's got me. I am in. Now, we only made it through one episode because we started it last night a little late. And well, I was like, should we watch another one? And she was like, no, no, we're watching one, and that's it. But I will be watching I am now Reacher. in. Now, I think it's two seasons, right? There's two seasons. Season three is coming. Okay. Now, have you watched it, the whole thing? So I've only seen season one because after that point, you know, Amazon Prime, uh, you know, discount subscription expired. So. Gotcha. So you did watch it. I've seen season one. Okay. Yeah, I, I think he does a great job in this role. I oh, think- I, you know what he kept making me? He, he reminds me of like like John Cena could have been cast to be that character, except for this guy's six five. Well, also the thing with this guy is he there's a lot of depth to his background. So like you're going to get information about like who who the character is, why he is this way. Like there's so many layers to this guy. Well, you're seeing that. But I'm just saying like he reminds me like if John Cena played that Physically. character, you'd have been like, OK, I can see like he sounds a little bit like him. He kind of resembles him a little bit, except for the fact that this guy's six foot five. But so we got into the Reacher. Is it called The Reacher or Just Reacher? Reacher. Just Reacher. Just Reacher. Yeah. All right, so I got into Reacher last night. I like this text. Mike, I thought I was the only subtitle watcher. 
I'm wondering how many other people watch shows now with the subtitles on. You're raising your hand. Now, you just gave me a, a crass remark earlier when I said it's hard to understand the people speaking no, British. No, I, I, was, I was confused why you could understand British people, but, you know. I'm it's not a, that you can't understand them. It's like sometimes, like, you have to focus a little harder because some of the things, like, it's hard to, like, not, you know, like, sometimes. I guess I'm used to it. I guess I'm used, used to it. used to it, but I'm saying, like, sometimes... I guess, you know, like the speakers on your television aren't, don't put out the best sound so it doesn't come out like clean. And you're like, wait, what did he just say? But I've been watching subtitles for years. So, so, you, oh, so you always watch with the subtitles. That's a little like, that's new for me. Like, I don't even, we don't even know how this happened. Who put them on? But now that they're on, now I got to say. I don't have them on for sports though. No, not for sports. Just Netflix and Prime. Right. Not just, for just regular television. Because right. on regular television, no one's watching anything else anyway. Exactly. But, I will say, Netflix is a far superior product to Amazon Prime. Does anybody agree or disagree with that statement? Um, I would say that they definitely have more quality content. For Forget sure. the content. I'm just talking about the functionality, oh. the fast forwarding, like all that stuff. It's okay. like easier to go fast forward back and forth on Netflix. Like last night, he said something. I couldn't make out what he said. And I was like, wait, what did he say? And we tried to rewind it, and you're rewinding it. And it's like, it, takes a, it. it takes a lot longer yeah. on the, the, the Prime platform than it does the Netflix platform, right. I think. I think anyway. I think Netflix is definitely more user-friendly than Amazon Prime is when it comes to that function. What I like about Netflix is that they they just have more more content that intrigues me, that in. You know, different you know, I, I'm not getting into the the content. I'm just talking about the functionality gotcha. of of what's there. To each their own on what you want to watch. I'm just saying, like one thing I don't like about Amazon Prime, for instance, we are watching some things and they're coming from like Freevee, and I'm getting commercials. Like the whole point I have your service is I don't want the commercial. Like I don't think I get Netflix commercials. I know you pay, you could pay for no commercials on Netflix, and you can. Most of the services you can pay for no commercial. Like last night, Reacher, before it started, we got a commercial. Right. It's funny because the commercial comes on and my girlfriend will say, well, I'll never buy in that product. <laughs> 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 like some, like sometimes, you know, it's like. You're saying the commercials have the opposite effect on her. The well, yeah, purpose. like the commercial on, like when you think you're on a paid TV service, you know, it, it's like, hey, I'm not buying that now because I thought I was getting this thing commercial free. So, but Reacher, anybody else out there watch that show? Uh, I'm in. So I'm I'm now found for the next, you know, we got two seasons worth. I don't know how many episodes are in each season, but I'm now, I'm invested. That that opening scene, I mean, when he gouges that guy's eye out with his thumb and the guy says to him, I can't eat anything. Why not? Well, I just watched you gouge a man's eye out with your thumb. I mean, what a great line. Yeah, see, I, I like the show also because I know about the, the actor himself, Alan Richardson, he... The amount of work he did to prepare for that role, like apparently he almost like made himself like physically like deathly ill <laughs> training for this role. Uh, Dan in EHC says, Mike, that's why I stopped watching the show The Office when they brought the British boss in. I couldn't understand a word she said. <laughs> so at least it's not just me, right? Uh, no, I, I'm sure there's other people too. I guess I guess it's because I've watched so many shows for me with people with accents. They just I'm numb to it. Mike, on the opposite, no subtitles. I find myself reading them rather than watching the show. Yes, 
I do say that you're sitting there reading the subtitles and you're not kind of like focused as much on the action or the show itself. But I guess you get used to it and there becomes an art of being able to do both. I don't know. I, I certainly understand that not everybody has a uh, ability to multitask. Right. That's not a problem for me. See, I've gotten to the point where I kind of look past the subtitles when they're on. And I, I only go, my mind only goes to the subtitle when I need it. Yeah. Uh, Mike, you got to watch Griselda on Netflix. It's a related series from Narcos. So you must use the subtitles, but it's absolutely fantastic. All right. So I did watch Narcos. And that is all subtitles. In fact, they don't speak English in that. You gotta have the subtitles because they have they they, the whole thing is in. I guess he's Colombian, so they speak some dialect of of Spanish. Yeah, it's it's a Spanish dialect. Right, I'm saying some dialect, but it's not like you know every um, uh, South American country has like a different dialect. They all have their own variations. Correct. It's like like an English in America. There's different variations of the same English. But I did hear that I should get into Griselda. So that may be the problem. Like I watched Narcos like the first, I don't know, in what season, this isn't a spoiler because it's a real life thing, but in what season did they capture him and basically uh, kill him? In Griselda? No, in Narcos. Was it the third season? Oh, it was the third season. Whatever. When they finally captured... um, um, Jeez, I'm blanking out here. Um, Escobar. uh, Pablo Escobar, correct, yeah. When they finally captured him and and they killed him, I mean, that's when I stopped. I know they've had other ones since, but I haven't gone down all the other narcos. Yeah, I mean, I thought the going after Pablo Escobar story grabbed me. I don't like the the next version of uh, Narcos was a completely different family. I never watched it after the third season. That's what I just said. So I don't I don't know is Griselda going to grab me because I did start one of the other seasons, then I just kind of got away from it. Gotcha. But he says I watched Reacher season two over a weekend. Couldn't stop watching every episode back to back. Wow. So you got to get back on that uh, train. I got to get. Get Amazon Prime back. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I've been on the hunt for uh, an HBO Max. I'll trade you. You have HBO Max? I do, actually. <laughs> I'll trade you. <laughs> Give me a couple days, okay? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm in a bit of a streaming transition. <laughs> Mike, you can watch Griselda without watching Narcos. It's based on a true character. Yeah, I didn't think I had to watch Narcos. Like, it's not like I need to, right? Like, I didn't think, like, I just said I stopped watching the Narcos series. Gotcha. After the Pablo Escobar stuff. So I'm going, uh, I did, but other people did text last week um, about Griselda. And and my actually my girlfriend said someone at work told her about that show as well. Okay. So that's like on the list. It's on the queue. If you believe what they say, Pablo Escobar was only scared of Griselda. So the story is based on someone that. Oh, so they are connected. Possibly, but you don't need to have watched Pablo Escobar's uh, gotcha. Narcos. I thought Narcos, by the way, was riveting. Really liked it. Now, I watched that years ago. I mean, it, I'm probably going almost... When did that come out? That had to be at least six, seven years ago 15, that that 16? came out. Yeah, yeah. I remember the year 2015 or 2016. Yeah, so I, I did watch um, Narcos, and I really liked it. In fact, I thought Narcos... You know, I, I was putting it up there with... Um, like, I was a huge fan of The Wire... 
I don't think it was better than The Wire, but like up in that range. Gotcha. Like I thought Narcos was really it was it was gory and graphic at times too, but it was re- I, I like stuff based on like true stories. So you know the Pablo Escobar story was somewhat intriguing to me. Well, I'm, I'm gonna be curious to see as it goes along how how you how you work through Reacher because you know only one episode in, but you're like you're in. Yeah, I mean, so far, like I said one episode, and I'm like, all right, I'm giving this, I'm, I'm going, I'm in. You got me, all right? You got me on this one. All right, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. If anybody out there, uh, now, I like the, the text message. The guy said he watched Reacher, and he said, awesome show, love Reacher. He's a monster of a human, Jack and Kate May Courthouse. Um, so it looks like I got a good one here, all right? I'm, I'm happy about that. I, I, You know, I thought about that earlier today. And I said, uh, you know, oh, I got to tell the people that I finally found the show. And I wanted to see what the, you know, if anybody else had seen it. That's why I set it up the way I did. Because that scene is so recognizable that if you saw the show, you didn't even need me to tell you the name of the show. Right. Right? It's kind of like the differentiator. You either seen it or you didn't see it. Oh, yeah. I mean, the guy gouges somebody's eye out with his thumb. I mean, what a boss move that is. Now, what I'm going to be curious to find out is when you're done watching Reacher, after you get through the first couple seasons, do you get to a point where this now opens the door that you might look into other, those kind of shows? I'm not anti those shows. I mean, but the premise of the show is not like um, what you're saying, I think. It's about like some sort of corruption. Yeah. Right. That's what I like. You know, well, we generally find these shows, it's like, the police department is corrupt, or the FBI is corrupt, or it makes you have bad thoughts. Though. That, that's why I, I was surprised you never got into the twenty-four. Yeah, I didn't watch twenty-four when it was out. It's probably is it too old to try? Like, is it timeless? It, like, okay, so here's the thing: it's not timeless, but the storylines are just so good. Okay. It's it's very like post nine eleven vibes. Like I watched Seinfeld the other day, and you know I love Seinfeld, but like half the time you're like, if they had a cell phone, this whole problem would be fixed. Yeah, twenty four was born out of the post nine eleven era kind of television. Sports Bass Live ninety seven three ESPN the ninety seven three ESPN free mobile app. Thank you for the text messages, all by the way, people. I always enjoy getting the feedback, um, and again. The fact that somebody texts in to watch the show, I did, and I thank you for it. So if you have a show that you think I should put in my queue, I'm taking uh, reservations right now for the next one. Because the way that we'll rip through this show, I'm sure we'll be done sometime about this time next week. (laughs) Not Q Myers here. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. All right, coming up next, it's today's Big Three. It's Flyers Black. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Tonight. Kevin with a shot. He scores! Oh, and Tippett goes far down! Coverage begins at 7.30. It's Flyers Hockey, 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app.
A lot of the bills that I've seen proposed in, in one form or another in Congress would have an ultimate impact of, of slowing down players moving and thus eliminate some of their market. Yeah, power. I'm not. I'm not much on that. Do they transfer more than they did 10 years ago? Yes. Do they transfer more than their peers who aren't student athletes? No. One of the things I hear from kids when I talk to them about this issue is coaches walk out on their contracts. What about us? All right, Sports Pass Live, 97.3 ESPN. It's time for today's Big Three. These are the three biggest stories in Josh's mind anyway today. We might not agree. So what you just heard was Charlie Baker. He is the man in charge of the NCAA. He's the president, and he did a long-form interview with Dan Murphy of ESPN. And one of the big conversations is about how what's going on with NIL and with the transfers. And Baker, who's taken a very different position than Mark Emmert, the president before him, he was very strong in his position, Mike, that they should not be any more transfer limitations on student athletes moving forward. So they just want free ability to move. Not completely free, but not creating more limitations. Like, like not be as strict as they were before. Keep the system as is now, where you're allowed to at least transfer the one time or you get the opportunity for, like, a hardship or a family. Or, of course, you can transfer because you're a graduate student. Yeah, I mean, listen, the whole movement in college sports, I'm not a big fan of. And I know people say, well, you have the right to do it. I feel like we want to rush everybody through life. We want to rush everybody through adulthood. Like, there are aspects of growing up and having to go through the formalities of becoming an adult. Like, we want a, like, what's next? A 12-year-old kid is an adult and we want to treat him like, and people are probably saying, well, that's ridiculous. Well, at what point are we saying, like, an 18-year-old, like, when something happens and they do something wrong, we want to say, ah, he's just a kid. But at 18 years old, we're trying to say, well, like, they should not be treated like this. They should be able to make these decisions. Or, oh, they went to this college, but they're so young, they didn't really know what they were doing. But, like, you can't have it both ways. So, for me, I'm not a proponent of, like, saying it's either you go to college to learn how to become an adult or learn how to go into work. Like, you go to college to learn the skill set to go get a job. So that's why I, I look at these things sometimes and I feel like we just want to rush everything and we just are like, so, well, that's not fair. This isn't fair. And no one's saying, well, life's not fair. I'm not being that guy. But we all had to go to college or for people that had to go to college to do the job, not everybody has to go to college for the job that they have, but certain fields require you to go to college. And I don't know why athletics in their mind have to be treated differently well they shouldn't be treated differently and i think that there's a lot of people there's a lot of people who their frustration they they point to the fact that the way college sports has been handled for years has resulted in this environment that's part of the problem it's that College sports has been handled so poorly that now it went from zero to 60. It's that you treated us so poorly for so long that now we want to hit you over the head with it. Right. And so now you went from one extreme to another, basically. And, well, yes, you know, the NIL is going to help keep guys in men and women in school longer in certain situations. It doesn't mean the way it's being handled right now is good either. 
Yeah, I mean, the NIL. Um, it's a wow west. It is. It, it is. Like, there has to be more restrictions on things and more. I don't want to say restrictions isn't the word. I don't want to act like I'm so against this. Well, it I'm needs not. to be more structured and less chaotic. You know, like, for example, the the uh, the guy who went to Miami, who the, the booster in Miami was suing him because he transferred out of Miami. See, I gave you money. You shouldn't transfer. I paid you to come here. Well, yeah, right. Like the fact that you got guys going through the handshake line and in the middle of the handshake line, you have an assistant coach grabbing a guy saying, hey, come here. We can get you more money. That's not what was intended. Right. Like this was not what we were hoping for as fans of the sport. So it's it's disheartening to see that they couldn't figure out how to do this before the Wild Wild West just took over. And now it's like, well, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Yeah, the whole amateurism thing was so – it was such a mess. And it was so poor for so long. And I do appreciate the fact that the NCAA president, Charlie Baker, is saying, look, we want to fix this NIL issue, but we don't want to limit players from transferring while we fix the NIL issue. Right. I mean, you would think they <sighs> – I don't know, that they would have got out ahead of this and had structure and had things in place that would have been something that instead of opening the floodgates and just letting this thing get completely out of control, that there would have been like, okay, this is what we're going to do for you. Look, this is, again, another example, though, of the NCAA reaps what they sow is greed. They are allowing the Wild Wild West with the NIL because right. why? They don't want to give up. They don't want to pay the players. They don't want to give up their profits either. So they're saying, we're not going to police it because we don't want to give up what we're making. Mike, my, my second story here is it has to do with the topic we were talking about in the last segment. It has to do with streaming service. Actually, the next two stories do with streaming services. But have you heard about the Netflix documentary coming out this year? If it's the one that I'm thinking of, it's actually in my rundown for my next segment. But uh, I don't know if you're talking about the one that I'm talking about that. And that is a Netflix documentary about the, about the Montreal Expos. Oh. So, no, yours is different. Yours right. is the Red Sox. See, you, you're a sentence finisher. You didn't let me finish what I was saying. Yeah, and, bad job and, by and, me. and you ruined it. No, Netflix is releasing a documentary about what led the Expos to leave Montreal in 2004. I am 100% in on that. What's yours? So Netflix is going to follow the Red Sox for the entire 2024 season. And they are going to come out with a documentary where they follow the Red Sox from spring training to the offseason. It's going to come out next year, Mike. But this entire year, the Boston Red Sox are going to be followed around like hard knocks. I did hear this. Um, I'm giving it meh. Give it meh. Yeah, I mean, the Red Sox have no redeeming players. They're not a team that I like them all. They, they've been in last place four out of the last five years. I'm not all that excited about looking, you know, watching with the Red Sox. Or, you know, if you told me it was Baltimore with a good young team, first place, the rise of this team out of nowhere, now they have expectations. 
Now, if the Red Sox surprise us and have a great season, this could turn into something. But, you know, who's a guy on that team that you're like, ah, I want to see, like, what this guy's like? I mean, they just don't have, like, it's not the Red Sox that we remember from, like, the early 2000s and mid-2000s. I mean, it's not like Pedro and Kevin Euclid and, you know, Pedroia. Like, we're talking about a last-place team here. Like, this is, you might as well have said, hey, we're going to go follow the A's. Well, I mean, they the have some good players. I mean, they got Raphael Devers, the first baseman, Cassis. They signed Giolito in the offseason, Liam Hendricks. Which, by the way, the Athletic voted today as Giolito is the worst signing of the offseason. They did. I did see that. Yeah. <laughs> but still, the, the point is that they do have some interesting players. They're not... They're not the worst team in baseball. No, they're not the worst team in baseball, but they're probably one of the more disappointing teams in baseball. The fact that it's Boston, and that rivalry is another one. We talked about Notre Dame earlier, the Red Sox-Yankee thing, bupkis now because, you know, they basically stink. By the way, do you know who the new pitching coach for the Red Sox is? No. Andrew Bailey. The former Philly. Yeah. For about 10 minutes. For 10 minutes, yeah. yeah the, the former closer yeah. in Major League Baseball. He's their new pitching coach, so that's... So, uh, listen, I'm interested because I, I like these behind-the-scenes foul teams I find, stuff. like, I, I, okay, on the surface, I feel like I'm kind of like, like, oh, I'm interested, and then I never watch them. Like, I haven't watched Hard Knocks in a while, and that's because I don't have HBO Max, mm-hmm. but I don't feel like, oh, man, I missed out. The ones that have been on Amazon Prime, one even had the Eagles. I didn't even watch that one. Like, the mid-season ones? Yes. I haven't watched any of those. I haven't watched Drive to Survive. I haven't watched the uh, golf one. I haven't watched uh, uh, the 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 IndyCar one. Like all of these things. Like I haven't even watched quarterbacks. Like I started to watch it and then I kind of bailed on it. I loved quarterbacks. I thought it was great. Although I was disappointed, I walked away and I wish Kurt Cousins was my neighbor. But that's a different story of the day. Mike, my third story today is, according to Nielsen, there was a record for January. billion viewing minutes on streaming in January. It is the most in any month for any day, all time, and it's all because of football. Football is one of the nine of the top ten most streamed entities right now on Earth. But what's interesting is what is number two, Mike? The most number two watched platform. It's more than cable. It's more than Netflix. It's more than any other streaming service. The number one streamed platform is YouTube. There are billions of minutes of people watching YouTube now, and they are outpacing almost every other streaming service combined. And now YouTube has marked the 12th consecutive month they're the top streaming service, and their minutes watched are now rivaling football. You know, it would be interesting. Um, I'm not surprised by this in the least bit. I mean, you would uh, – yeah, I- I'm not surprised by this in the least bit. YouTube is – like my father, like we used to do our show on YouTube, and for whatever reason, um, it's not on YouTube anymore. But my father, who's, you know – in his 60s, is still critical. Like, how come you guys aren't on YouTube anymore? That's all I watch. We had cable at our house. When we first moved into the house, I said to my girlfriend's son, hey, do you want cable? They looked at me like I was a nutbag. No, they don't want cable. They watch YouTube. If you are not a part of YouTube, you are a tube. 
<laughs> yeah. You're a boob. You're an idiot. Um, yeah. I, I, YouTube is, you know, we were on Radio Row last week. And the article that I read on Post Radio Row from an from a industry source was essentially saying, you know, there was like 250 plus stations at Radio Row. And of the 250 stations, there was like 10 of them that didn't have some sort of video YouTube presence on Radio Row. Like YouTube to me now is essentially, like you say that, I'm not surprised in the least bit that that is um, the number the the number two streaming service. They are, they are according to Nielsen, they're, well, first of all, they're the number one streaming service, but they're the second most watched of anything yeah. behind football. I, I I am not surprised. Like I said, like my television, when I turn my TV on, it like defaults to YouTube. And like when I turn YouTube on, it literally has, you know, every podcast that I watch is on YouTube now. Like, you know, I get asked, the number one question I get asked is what happened to us on YouTube? It's not even close. It's like, I and I, I don't even want to answer the question half the time uh, because it's so frustrating. But YouTube is... Far and away, the biggest platform, and it's only getting bigger. Like, YouTube is going out of their way to push and market live programs. Like, so if you're doing a show like ours live, they are pushing that to the front of their platform. Correct. So um, the fact that we don't have uh, YouTube is a crime, and it's, it's, it's unfortunate, um, but there's nothing I can do about it. I tried my best, people. But your story there is not... Surprising in the least bit. What may surprise you is that the show you just mentioned, the last segment, Reacher, is the fourth most watched show on any streaming platform over the last 12 months. 4.3 billion minutes watching. All right. Well, on what? Netflix or Amazon Prime? of, Of all the streaming platforms, it's the number four most watched show on any streaming platform gotcha. is Reacher. All right. Well, I'm, uh, I'm in on Reacher. I'm also in on YouTube. You know how much YouTube I watch? Like, my father tells me all the time, like, oh, I watch you, your sh- you know, I used to watch your show on YouTube all the time. You're not on there anymore. And I, and I said, yeah. He's like, but now I watch this show on YouTube and I watch that show on YouTube. Like, you go down a rabbit hole of like, hey, you know, I'm watching the Sports Bash on YouTube. Well, as soon as the Sports Bash is over, it takes you to, like, somebody else talking right. about. They, rec- they recommend you something, watch right. something else. Right, so you're just constantly watching stuff that's tailored for your viewing habits. Oh, I, I'm aware. Yeah. This is something that my parents do. Every time I see my parents, they're watching stuff on YouTube, and it'll be, it could be anything. You know, it's crazy. Well, and, and like, um, you know, our buddy John Marks, he, he has a show that he does on Netflix, or Netflix, on YouTube every night at 9 o'clock now. Well, when I go to YouTube, the first thing that gets sent to me is his show from the night that he did it. The recommended night. Right, because I watched it one time, right. you know, so now that comes to me. <laughs> you know, all that stuff. Mike Missinelli's podcast, they all have a video component yep. of the podcast. No one's actually listening to the audio component. They're all, you know, because what is easy about it is, like in the morning, I'm walking around my house. I'm making coffee in the in the kitchen. I turn my TV on in the living room, and I can throw on the podcast on my television, and I can hear it throughout my house. You know, and they say, well, you could do that with the audio version, too. It just, because it's on my television, it's so much easier to it's just... It's simple. Exactly. It's, it's the functionality, what we were talking about before with Netflix and Prime. Right. Yeah. 
That, Mike, is your three for today. Big three today. All right. Uh, let me see. If I was picking big three, that's what I should do. Is like, what three would I have gone to today <laughs> if, if I was um, – I know everybody's talking about Justin Fields. You know, he was on this podcast and he said whatever – um, which that podcast had a video component to it, by it the way. It does. Yes, it does. <laughs> he says he's tired of the trade talk. If I'm him, I don't want to be in Chicago. Just get rid of me. He said he wants to be in Chicago. Yeah, I mean, what else is he going to He's not going to say, I don't want to be here. He says it's a lit city is what he said. Oh, Chicago's a great place to live. I mean, it's fantastic. I love Chicago. Um, that would be one, I don't know. I'd have to do a little bit more. Uh, but I'll, th- tomorrow, I'll start to say these would have been the three stories that um, that I would have picked. But I like the college football one. I'm I'm always into the college football stuff because I love college football and I feel like the whole college sports landscape is getting destroyed. Just wrecked. Wrecked. All right, we're going to close out the show coming up next. It's 6 night. Are you kidding me? He rocks the rim with a right-hand jam. Coverage begins at 7.30 on 97.3 ESPN. All right, get ready to get out of here. Uh, Flyers in action tonight. They're taking on the Blackhawks. Sixers tomorrow. Against the Knicks, Sixers on Friday against the Cavs, Flyers, Rangers Saturday, Sixers, Bucks Sunday, Flyers, Penguins Sunday. So for the last couple of nights, you've got nothing. Coming up this week, starting tonight, you got a nice little rush of stuff. Mike Josh is always great show. Thank you, Corey. Says, so do you have plans to see the Bob Marley movie in the theaters? Well, I haven't been in the theater since 1998, so I can answer that question with a big no. But is the Bob Marley movie, isn't that on Amazon Prime? No, it's coming out in theaters first. Isn't there a Marley movie on one of the streaming services? It might be a documentary. Hmm. Mike, can't wait to see the Netflix documentary on The Process. We're all waiting for that one. Uh, Glenn from Northfield, try the Queen's Gambit. You know, I did hear about that. Is that like the chess player? Something to that effect? Uh, Mike and Josh, if you're interested in historical movies, go to Netflix and watch uh, Resistance. True life story. Uh, boy, that's uh, heavy. I'll have to put that on the queue list there, Tom. The Tourist on Netflix. Have you seen that? I have not. I have seen that pop up on my things to watch. It has twist. popped up on my recommendation list. Like, you know, that list is like, because you watched fill in the blank, we recommend you watch this. Yeah, Flyers tonight. Um, I'm actually calling the uh, Stockton Montclair and Jack semifinal game tonight, so I'm heading over to Big Blue. DJ Campbell. Yeah, he just broke the school record. You had him on the air the other night. That was a good conversation. He's and an interesting guy, man. I-, I love his story. It's so cool when you hear stories like that of guys who where they come from, how they get to that point. To me, that stuff fascinates me. So, uh, yep, I'll be uh, calling the uh, NJAC semis over there. Call the game. Eh, depending on what time I get home, maybe I'll get in an episode or two of Reacher. The number four most watched show on any streaming platform in the last 12 months. Mike Gill's watching. <laughs> so you're saying I'm a follower? No, I'm saying you're, uh, you're <laughs> catching up to the rest of everybody else. <laughs> when did that show come out? First season? Yeah. I got to watch up a level is 2021. All right, that's it for me. Uh, Josh has game night coming up next. He'll lead you into the Flyers and the Blackhawks. Got Durso on tonight or no? Weinberg Wednesday. Oh, he just texted me, by the way. And then I think he called me by accident because it rang once and they hung up on me. <laughs> 
probably realize this snap is on the air. I forgot. He did text me. I didn't read the text yet, Dave, but I did see it come across my screen. And sometimes I have my phone handy. Other times I don't. Some people always wonder, how are you texting me while you're on the radio? I can do two things at once. Can you believe it? Pretty good at that. But that's all the time I have for tonight. I can't be here and stocked in at the same time, so I got to go. Josh has you till 6. Actually, till 7. He'll start at 6. And I'm Mike Gill. This has been the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.